Welcome to a special edition of Hoopsville. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. This is not our season debut live production in any way, shape, or form. We'll talk about that show coming up. This is a special edition talking about all the rule changes that have taken place in college basketball. Normally, we do not put a show together regarding rule changes. We remember a few years ago when men's basketball moved the three-point line back, and then a couple years later, the women followed suit. That didn't need a full show to explain that decision. We have had arcs, defensive arcs added and defensive boxes added and other rule changes, but nothing so significant that we felt that the fans and others needed a place to f- learn more about the rule changes. This year, significant changes in college basketball, both on the men and women's side and not equally, both sides making different changes. Um, you will literally see two different brands of basketball being played at least for the next two seasons, and thus why we figured we had to put a special together. We will cover the rules as best we can on a show like ours. We will talk to a rules committee person from each of the two committees and an administrator who also serves on the men's basketball committee about the changes, what they mean for college basketball, what they mean for the future, and how fans can still appreciate and enjoy the games nonetheless. I'll even throw in my two cents at the end of the show. Before we get to those rule changes, a quick reminder that we also have a significant number of announcements on the show. First off, our season debut is coming up on Thursday the 12th. We will have that live. We will be talking to the two preseason number one teams, Augustana and Coach Gray Giovanni. And, of course, we'll be talking to Coach Hans from Thomas More on the women's side. Of course, they are the defending national champions. We'll also talk to the men's basketball committee chair, Brian Van Haftem from Buena Vista. We'll talk to him about taking over the chairmanship, but he'll tell you it's more of a team effort on their part. And we'll also talk to him about his squad, the Buena Vista team, and, of course, the IIAC, which is going to be going through some changes, but at the same time has gotten pretty competitive. That's all coming up on Thursday, November 12th, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, live We will be on the air. Don't forget you can interact with us, learn more about the show or whatever via our Twitter account at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Also join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. And you can always email us questions, questions for our guests when they're on live or even when you know they're going to be pre-taped. Or you can uh, ask us or give us guest suggestions. Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. A lot of that information, by the way, scrolling at the bottom of your screen. So let's get back to the rules and why we are here. Men's and women's have made a number of significant changes. We will start on the men's side and go to the women's side. Right now, we will give you a synopsis of the rules that have been changed, at least some of the major ones, and then we will talk to each of those committee members coming up. Those committee members, by the way, Bill Raleigh from Southwestern on the men's side. We'll talk to Brad Duckworth from Alverno on the women's side, and then talk to Tim Fitzpatrick from Coast Guard about what all the changes mean and what it, the significance in Division Three, et cetera, et cetera. But let's start with the rule changes that are the, the most significant to get to and we will start on the men's side. First off, pace of play for both men and women is important, and to be honest, most of these rule changes are based on pace of play. As a result, as expected, and really as rumored for a number of years, the men will be moving the shot clock from 35 seconds to 30 seconds. Um, That decision seems to have been pretty unanimous, for lack of a better description. Um, Also, it may not affect Division Three necessarily until later in the season, but there is one fewer timeout. 
uh, especially in media games. In Division Three non-media games, there will still be four full timeouts and two 30-second timeouts. But when it comes to NCAA tournament time, when media timeouts are put in place um, throughout the tournament, there will be one less timeout. Uh, certainly something we'll talk about more when we get closer to the tournament. Also, by the way, just a note, officials are asked to push the pace of play. Uh, coming out of timeouts, they will get the ball inbound a little bit quicker, so look for that. By the way, coaches no longer allowed to call timeout while the ball is in play. Now, a little twist on that, if the ball goes through the, uh, the, the cylinder for a basket, but before is inbounded, coach can call a timeout in that scenario, and that will remain. However, when the ball is actually still in play, because by the way, that's considered a dead ball situation, when the ball is actually in play, only the players on the floor can call timeout. The 10-second violation to come up the full court has been adjusted. I don't want to say necessarily changed because it still exists and there are still ways to have it reset. Let's look at the ways it will not reset. So, basketball team has 10 seconds to bring it over the, the timeline. If the defense deflects the ball out of bounds, the time will not be reset. If the offensive player is called for a technical foul, which means they get the ball back, 10 seconds is not reset. And if there is a tie-up, a jump ball scenario with both teams, and possession remains with the offensive team, timeout will not, or the time, 10-second time, will not be reset. It will be reset if a coach calls a timeout, though. So that still is in play. But remember, when a coach can't, and I should say a team calls timeout, because a coach cannot call timeout when the ball is in play. The players have to do that. But if they do that to keep from having the 10-second violation, that 10-second is reset, but they're also out of a timeout. We'll talk more about that coming up. One that is not necessarily for this year, though if you're watching Division One, it is. The restricted arc is moving from 3 feet to 4 feet, pretty much the NBA international uh, distance. That is not in place for Division Two and Division Three this year. That will be in place next year. You may see the lines on the floor, but remember Division Two and Division Three are playing in a smaller arc this year. Um, they get a year when you have major changes like adding shot clocks to a sport like lacrosse or whatever. You get at least a year to put those in place due to the cost that, that is incurred to stripping your court down. But remember, we're playing with a smaller arc. Um, a little bit of a note may affect some Division three schools, may not others. Certainly will be a factor when it comes to the championship. Uh, officials will be able to review shot clock violations on made shots at any time. So if a, if a shot is made but they feel that it may have happened after the shot clock expired, that was something that could not be checked until the last two minutes of the game in the past. That can now be checked in, during the uh, course of play at any time. Uh, that has been changed. The other one, too, is that they can determine, they can look at a review and determine whether a player faked or dove on a foul. And if so, they will, um, I believe it's a, a Class B technical foul, but I'm not 100% sure. But they can use a monitor to do that. Also, uh, Class B technical fouls are down to one shot now. So hanging on the rim, um, taking too long to get a substitution in on a on a uh, foul-out scenario, um, delay of game, whatever. All those lower-end technical fouls in men's basketball is now a one-shot scenario, not two. The idea is to keep the pace of play up. Closely guarded while dribbling the ball, five-second violation has been removed. This kind of goes coincides with the 35-second um, shot clock going down to 30. Also, the fact that the women do not have this rule. 
If you are closely guarding someone who is holding the ball, they still have five seconds to do something. But if they are dribbling and are being closely guarded, they have removed that rule. Uh, and the restriction on dunking in pregame and halftime has been removed, but that may still be in place per administrations and coaches. We'll all talk about this coming up with Bill Raleigh. On the women's side, let's start with the big one, and that is the quarters. Going to quarters, 10-minute quarters versus 20-minute halves, that has a significant change across the board and is really the reason why most of the other rules got changed. Um, for example, timeouts now uh, on the women's side has been adjusted. Um, I believe it's going to be uh, 3.30s and 2.60-second timeouts in Division Three. When it gets to a media game, it's 3.30s and 1.60, and one of those 30s has to be used in the first half. So less timeouts in the women's game, but also consider the fact that there's basically a timeout every half now since we are uh, playing quarters. That's kind of how that played into place. If you're in a media game, by the way, just of a note, there's now one media break at the five-minute marker below in each quarter, so there's actually one less media timeouts. As a result of quarters as well, we have changed the foul shooting scenario. In the men's game, it will stay at seven fouls as a one-and-one, and, one, and ten fouls is a double bonus. In the women's game, it will go five fouls straight to a double bonus, two shots. No one-and-ones at all, and those fouls will reset every quarter. We'll talk about, a little bit more about how the impact of that will take place. Uh, Ten-second uh, backcourt violation, or ten seconds to get it over the, the timeline, exactly the same in the men. Again, uh, defensive tip-out, offensive technical foul, or a tie-up will not reset the ten seconds, but a timeout will. Um, also, uh, there's um, on the women's side, uh, they've adjusted some of the, of the checking of things, like a shot clock violation on the women's side cannot be checked until the last two minutes uh, of the game. So you can't check a shot clock violation earlier on a lot of these are to move things up and move things along again back to timeouts 330 seconds and 260s in a media game which like the ncaa tournament will be 330s and 160 we'll go over these more in detail if you didn't quite follow coming up here on the show so following coming up on the other side of the break uh, we will talk to bill raleigh former men's basketball coach at southwestern current assistant athletics director at southwestern in texas he's also on the men's basketball committee. His first year was last year while all these changes are going in place. After him, we will talk to Brad Duckworth. Um, he is the athletics director at Alverno. He is also the women's head coach at Alverno and the newly appointed chair of the women's basketball rules committee. He was on the committee last year and part of the process, but as of September 1, he is now the chair of that committee. That's all of Division 1, 2, and 3. And then we'll talk to Tim Fitzpatrick, Athletics Director at Coast Guard. He has a Division 1 background, having worked at West Point and Indiana, but also has done a number of a lot of work in Division 3 as well. He will bring us part of the administrative side of things, and whether he agrees or disagrees with the rules, and then we'll wrap it all up with my two cents. So this is the Hoopsville Rules Special, and when we come back, Bill Raleigh from Southwestern will join me to go over the men's rules here in Division Three. You're watching Hoopsville. We'll be back right after this. Division three schools offer academic scholarships instead of athletic scholarships. This really puts the focus that the student athlete needs to maintain that GPA. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. A lot of people pick schools just based on the sport and don't get that experience. Being a Division Three athlete and developing my leadership skills has definitely 
put my name out there and helped me get more recognition on campus, but more recognition nationwide. I did win the Jostens Trophy, which is based on leadership, academics, and then how well you do on the court. I'm also the Schwartz Scholar of my class. Schwartz Scholarship is basically the scholarship that is given to a student who's identified as a likely leader. And the other day, it won't matter how they play on the field, it will matter how they do in the classroom. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. Welcome back to Hoopsville, this special Hoopsville edition about the rule changes in college basketball. You certainly don't do these often every time they change the rules, but there's so many rule changes this year and so many differences between the two games, uh, men's and women's. We felt it was necessary. Don't forget the Hoopsville premiere, uh, 13th season premiere, will be Thursday. Uh, the 12th of November will be on the air, 7 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, we'll be talking to two preseason number one teams uh, in Division Three basketball. Of course, that is the uh, Augustana men's basketball team and Coach Gray Giovanni and the women's coach Jeff Hans from Thomas Moore, the defending national champs. Also talk to Brian Van Haften from Buena Vista. He is the men's committee chair uh, for this upcoming season. We'll talk to him plus other guests. And we'll start looking at the conferences throughout the country. Over the next few days, we'll start off with a few conferences on the men's and women's side. Uh, or at least give you my point of view on those conferences. Coming up, that is Thursday on the season premiere of Hoopsville. Now let's get back to the topic at hand on this special show of Hoopsville regarding the rule changes. We're going to start off with the men's rules and, and work our way to the women's, mainly because the men's made less changes and certainly less um, dramatic changes. And we'll also kind of start the conversation about the rule changes. And joining us uh, on the Hoopsville hotline is Bill Raleigh, former men's basketball coach at Southwestern in Texas. Of course, he is on the Men's Basketball Rules Committee and current assistant athletics director there at Southwestern. Bill, welcome to Hoopsville, sir. Thank you, Dave. Glad to be here. Uh, first and foremost, nice to know someone on the Rules Committee. That's always a bonus. Um, I know there's ever-changing. I think Laverne's coach has served on it. I know Charlie Brock from Springfield has served on it in the past. There's always a couple of Division Three members. Um, how long have you been on the committee, and, and how, how involved have you been, even if you haven't been on the committee, with rule changes? Well, I walked into a, into a buzzsaw this year. This <laughs> yeah, you my did. first year on it, and um, it, with all the things going on, it was a very very interesting year. And, and I've been involved in it for the last for the last full year. So um, we're you know watched the season and, and talked about all these things as we went through the year. And uh, it's really a great committee, and, and they they work really hard. Uh, Rick Bird, who was the um, from Belmont, who was the chair, did a fantastic job of shepherding all this stuff through. And um, it really was an impressive group to be a part of. Uh, the, the three the three days we spent in, in uh, Indianapolis when we made the changes was was really one of the best professional experiences I've had with just the professionalism and, and the way everybody was took this up very seriously. So it was, a, it was a great experience. Of course, you've been very involved with the National Association of Basketball Coaches, so you've been involved with committee decisions when it comes to selections and rules, etc. So this isn't necessarily new when you're coming into this year, and you've been a basketball coach, so I know you've been on the forefront. But yeah, this year certainly seemed like a tipping point in some ways, and certainly maybe more so because the women's changes will get to them and your opinions on those, but also because it just felt like we were building this way for a few years. That rule changes just seemed to be on the on 
on the tip of everybody's tongue every year for the last two, three years? Well, it's being driven at the at the top of the game. You know, you can't watch a uh, you can watch a Division One game this year on television without it being a topic of conversation. Yeah. And um, it, it's entertainment and and what sports is becoming in this society is is uh, has been driving this for a long time. And and I think we made uh, some some good changes to to speed up the game and make the game more. Uh, accessible for people and, and enjoyable for people in the long run. So um, it is a top-down sport, as, as we always know. You know the NCAA basketball tournament, uh, Division One level, funds basically the NCAA. So um, it's very important for us to make sure that's a good experience. And um, so some of these changes won't have a great deal of effect on Division Three right off the bat. It's going to take a little time to, to trickle down a little bit, but um, I think you'll see some major changes at the Division One level. Well, let's get through some of these uh, rule changes. As we've already talked about, we've briefly gone over what those changes are at the beginning of the show, but let's talk about it a little more in depth. First off, I want to talk about the areas that the, the officials are told to focus on outside of the changes. Some of these are pretty much repeats from the last two, three years, I want to feel. Um, first off, physicality in the post-play. Uh, they certainly want to free up the movement of players who are outside uh, of having the ball, and of course, post position is part of that. But those all also are two different things. The physicality in the post also comes when the ball gets down there. Yes, uh, I, I really think the, the directives that we've given to the officials, uh, I, I think that's the most important thing. The changes, uh, you know, the second, the thirty-second clock, and all that stuff are. are nuances I think that are going to make the game a little bit better but if we can get the officiating to call the game the way it's been written you know, mm-hmm. and that's been the biggest question, um, and that's with those five areas. You know, the, the hand checking, which we did a couple of years ago, and uh, it really made the game much more enjoyable to watch mm-hmm. once we got through. Once people adjusted, yes. <laughs> um, you know, the freedom of movement is a big one right now. Uh, you know, you just can't. Guys can't get through, and you can't. You can't get a continuity offense if you can't get cutters, and you can't get people coming off screens, and all that stuff. And, and post play is, you know, it's always been a problem. Um, I remember reading about John Wooden complaining about. <laughs> uh, Bill Walton and, and uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar getting beaten up in the post. You know, that's 50 years ago now. Yeah. So you know, it's something we're just kind of keeping working with. And, and uh, so we're just trying to make the game more enjoyable to watch, make the game the way it was intended to be. It's supposed to be an athletic game. It's supposed to be a free-flowing game. And it has become a really a physical war, you know, is the best way to put it. And hopefully, with you know, the officials will, will, will start making those changes, start making those calls. And, and what we saw a couple of years ago, which we didn't stick with, was when they made it and started calling those hand checks and calling that stuff quickly, people adjusted, and they didn't need to call it as much. Hopefully, we're going to be able to do that and keep going. And the directive is to try to, we want to move forward from this point, not do it and go back. We want to go forward and make sure the game is, is much more enjoyable much more uh, athletic, much more fun to watch. One of those things we'll get to, some of these will come up with rule changes, but the one that I I pick up on is the moving screens and setting clean screens. And listen, when I was taught to play the game back in middle school and high school, I was always taught if you can't uh, set a legal screen and maybe you're teammates fault for not getting the defender close enough and you're moving so both of you are technically at fault so there's some coaching involved in this too but really how, how much are you guys trying to stress that you know these these screens have got to be a clean b guys have got to stop moving well it's you know again it's trickle down you watch you watch an nba game you can't watch five minutes and, and you know you'll see 15 illegal screens yes where guys are just going. so <laughs> you know it's trying to stop some of that that's what these that's what kids are learning from right. in a lot of ways but it is it's just trying to get back you know, and trying to give the officials something to 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 look for. You know, we talk about stationary on the screen. 
you know, this should be get that person stopped. Um, you see so many of the ball screens now where people just run in and roll out and, you know, are rolling down on top of somebody. So, you know, it's an education process, the process for the officials to be able to do, but um, it does make it kind of, you know, trying to make it simple, make it a good coaching point. Hey, get stopped. You know, you got to get yourself set. That you know the offensive player, the, the guy using the screen, has got to then let him get set and let him use it. Um, so it's a you know it's going to take some adjustment, but it does bring some of the coaching back into the game. Uh, of course, those are the emphasis. Let's talk about those rule changes. We talk about the big one. That's the thirty-second shot clock. I think this is the one that's been kind of building over time. Um, it had been men's basketball had the longest shot clock in all of basketball. Though you could go back to some high schools and debate whether some high schools have longer. But for the most part, uh, international NBA, et cetera, thirty seconds. You know, I heard some people complain. Oh, come on, you're, you're taking some time away from the offense. The offense is going to start rushing shots. We're going to put up bad shots. Uh, I made the contention: if you got five seconds left on the shot clock on a thirty-five clock, and you got five seconds left on a thirty clock, it's still five seconds left on the shot clock. Um, how big was this one, and how how was this a contentious one, or was this an easy one? Uh, surprisingly, very easy. And again, this is from a person who I played way back in the good old days when there was no shot clock. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I struggled when they moved it to forty-five. And then I struggled when they moved it to 35. And by the time it took me now three times, now I'm going, you know, something, five, it is. It's five seconds left. It's five seconds left. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was really surprising. That one was kind of a no-brainer. One, because of the amount of swell there was for it, amount, you know, the NBA being lower, the uh, international game being lower. Um, it, you know, it's kind of something the writing was on the wall that, hey, we've got to do it. Yeah. And that's the big, most symbolic one. Um, how it's going to change, I don't think it's going to change the game much. Um, you know, in, in the big picture, but uh, it's something I think is a good move forward because I think, you know, I, I do envision, you know, hopefully not in my lifetime, but probably in my lifetime, you'll see it down at 24, like the mm. NBA. Wow. Um, you know, and it's just, and that's just the way, or at least where the international game is and, and go forward. So, uh, it, you know, I think it's one of those ones that, but I don't think it, it makes that big of a deal when, when it comes down to the adjustment is going to be the same thing is you still going to be able to hold the ball a little bit if you need to. Yeah. Uh, and with all, and the whole complex changes, all the changes, I think really make it a, a you know, some of the other areas are more important. Uh, I, I would say I'd like to see it stay at 30 and not go to 24, so at least there's some difference between the two games. Oh, it's um, not, but don't worry. I mean, that's not that's not in any foreseeable future. Sure. It's not, but even, you, not even being discussed, but I think the trend is in yeah, that direction. Sure. And, now, the other one was a one fewer team timeout, but that's really a D1 rule, not a D3 rule. Um, well, just for that, let's get through that. So D1 will have one less team timeout, technically, and granted most of those games are media, so that's probably where this is playing in. Why not across the board? Well, it, it, it is from all media games. So for it, it, the way it was intended is any time media timeouts are used, whether mm-hmm. using the 4, 8, 12, 16, or the 5, 10, 15 one, yeah, you, it, that that goes into effect. So it should affect the Division Threes that that use media timeouts, correct? Because um, we use it in the NCAA tournament. Um, it just was not discussed to, to drop you know drop it for non-media games. Because uh, again, I think you know the focus isn't on those games. The, the focus is on the games that are on television to kind of speed them up. And that was a kind of a speeding up process. And 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 the realization at the, at the end of the day, you have four other timeouts that are dictated through the media. You know the coaching aspect of it. You're getting plenty of timeouts, and it was very interesting in the fact of, you know, we met with the, the board of directors of the NABC, and you know, with some big, big, big names in that room, and they didn't even think twice about it. They were hmm. like, "That's great, take away a timeout, we're good." Well, and speaking of timeouts, coaches no longer can call a timeout in the course of play. 
that seems like a, a, a almost a smart one because I, how many times we had controversy that we've seen a coach calling a timeout but the referees are focused on the game and don't see it, um, or they're bailing their team out of something that they you know they don't even realize. Uh, it almost seems like a no brainer here too. Yes, it, that, that's a, for the officials. The officials can't. Um, you know, the plays down one end. You know, they they don't know who's yelling at them from the sidelines. And we've had too many inadvertent whistles where someone just blows a whistle. There was a, there was a game last year, Virginia, an ACC game, where you know ball was clearly going out of bounds in a big spot, whistle was blown, and they you know gave the coach the timeout. And it's kind of one of those things we're trying to get let the officials concentrate on the stuff they need to concentrate on the on the floor. Sure. That's more important. And, and uh, so it will help them. The officials were very much excited about that rule because, um, again, it keep, takes them – their focus is just on what needs to be – what's being played out. Uh, the interesting part about it is, though, you can call timeouts. Coaches can call timeouts when the ball goes through the basket. Um, and it's a little nuance of the game. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's a, – when a basket is scored, it is a dead ball. Yeah. Uh, even though the clock runs, it's still running. It's a dead ball, so you can call a timeout then, and it's got to be done quickly. So, so end the game situations. Shot goes up, coach can get that timeout quick, uh, and stop. You know, and get over and get his kids organized. So that's still in play. It's just trying to bail out someone's getting trapped in the backcourt, yeah. or the ten second clock's going down, or something like that. The players on the floor can can call it but not the coach on the sideline. Uh, your buddy Mike McGrath was a victim of the refs not being able to see him at the Hoopsville Classic, and they were yep. playing Stevenson, hit a last-second shot. Uh, Stevenson went to inbound it immediately, and, and Mike was screaming for a timeout. But the referees, and I looked back at the video multiple times, they're all focused on the ball, all focused at the yep. play at hand, don't see Mike calling a timeout. So in that sense, it does make sense. You know, It takes that onus off the refs to have to have their heads on a swivel uh, almost, especially in late games, which then makes them miss something maybe. Well, and it floor. gets them to think about the situation, and that's one of the things I think is important for officials is is for them to understand situations. Yeah. You know, you know, team one team's up, final minute, and there's timeouts left. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna be thinking that okay, the ball goes through, one of the three have got to look at that coach. Yeah. You know, and, and try to get, you know, to try to keep it going. But again, human error is part of the game, sure. and you're never going to get rid of it. But it's just trying to let. You know, trying to make sure they're focused on the things that are most important. And I'd rather have them focused on whether or not it's a two or a three, or whether or not there was a foul called, than whether whether or not you know the assistant or the head coach was calling yelling sure. for a timeout. Another pace of play thing is ten seconds in the backcourt. This one's uh, got some nuances to it. For the most part, team is not going to have their ten second reset every time the ball goes out of bounds. Now there are some tricks to it. If the defense tips it out of bounds, their clock is doesn't reset. I saw it in an ex- exhibition game the other day where the defense tied the ball up in the backcourt. Still was offensive ball because of the jump ball alternating possession gave it to the offense. Did not reset the clock. Um, a technical foul called on the offense will not reset the clock. However. A timeout called by the, the by the offensive team will reset the clock. I think a lot of people thought that that might be done away with. What was the mentality with keeping that reset still in play? Well, it was a combination of taking we, – you're taking away one timeout already. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're going to burn a timeout in that spot, it's a penalty as it is because you've already got one less. So, you know, we, wanted, we didn't want to make it a double whammy, you know, you, yeah. you burn a timeout. And you don't get a reset, so that was just a, a concession to kind of the. And I think that was a great example of, of you know how that room, you know, those all those people in that room really were thinking the game. Mm-hmm. And we you know we went all over the place, and the scenarios came up, and you know it really made a lot of sense. Is hey, we're you know you're already taking one time out away, 
you know, give them the opportunity if they want to use another one in this spot, then you know there is a reward for for burning that timeout. And again, as the pace of play, it'll help help in the long run. So uh, it's just a concession to to common sense. I think is the best way to put it. Uh, talking to Bill Riley here, former men's basketball coach at Southwestern, on the men's basketball committee for the NCAA, representing Division Three as one of a couple of members from the Division Three ranks. Uh, of course, he's very involved with the National Association of Basketball Coaches and current assistant athletics director at Southwestern. Um, another thing that that is part of pay, picking up the course of play is that if a player is disqualified, we've now reduced it from I think at one point it was thirty seconds. Now we're down to twenty seconds. Now we're down to fifteen seconds for a coach to make a decision on a new player. Bill, I'm going to start off with just my question about the rule in general. Why can't we just get rid of it, period? You don't have time to make a decision. Find another player. Well, and that's, and that's really the way it's going. You know, 15 cents, it doesn't take a lot of time. And, and again, that's a great example of the coaches in the room, people who coach, talking, going, you know who has four fouls. You know, how, you know the situation. Um, you know, you're, you, we're taking away some of the gamesmanship of using it as a timeout, an extra yeah. timeout. Uh, it's just a, a way for the officials to try to keep the game rolling along. Uh, and, and I think the, you know the combination of that they, they they've made the administrative technicals or, or you know technical yep. fouls that are not uh, egregious is the best way to put it. But um, you know, with the time and all that stuff, you get warned, and then now the officials can can bang you with a one shot technical um, as a way to kind of keep the keep it going. And I think officials were very reluctant to give two shots. Um, you know, two points to somebody. But now, if there's something, you know, you're not paying attention, you're not getting your team out of the huddle, you're not paying attention to, the, to these little rules, when you're clearly told you got to do it, you're going to get warned, and then, you, then you're going to get banged on timeout and uh, technical. So it's just a, you know, trying to get away from all the delaying going on. And, and the games, especially Division One games, are, are so long and, mm-hmm. and so drawn out. These are ways to just, hey, let's, let's try to get and give the officials some, some type of leverage is, hey, let's go. Yeah, I was going to say, I was talking to a group of officials the other day at an exhibition game, and they said, listen, I think our brethren are reluctant to hit them with a double tech for hanging on the rim or a double tech for getting out of a timeout. Now with these single techs, we are more likely to go, come on, you know these rules, and a single tech doesn't, you know, keeps the game moving uh, along as well. Um, another thing that's interesting is that, you know, video review is getting expanded a little bit. Uh, for example, we can now v- review shot clock uh, violations on a made shot throughout the game, which was shocking to discover you couldn't do in the first place until a major D1 game late last year kind of revealed that uh, ugliness a little bit. Um, also, re- officials can, while reviewing, can see if a guy faked a foul, took a dive. Um, you guys are expanding that just a little bit without really expanding it necessarily. Well, just again, trying to add common sense to it, trying to make sure that that you know, at the end of the day, you want to get it right. And you know, people always, you know, if the shot happens in the final thirty seconds. You know, that's big. Well, yeah. that same, you know, if you only give two points and it should have been a three in the first ten minutes of the game, you lose by one. There's the difference. So we're trying to get trying to get it more uniform, making sure they get it right. Um, as for the the faking of the of the fouls, I mean, that's just a the game has become so. You know, a lot of guys are flopping all over the place. Yeah. A lot of you know things are going on, and we're just trying to give the officials the opportunity um, to just say if they see something egregious, they see somebody who uh, was not touched and acted like they got hit trying to draw a foul, they can get it. They can bang them with a technical if they see it clearly. And uh, again, trying to build that back in the game of making people accountable for what they do. Sure. If you choose to do something, you get caught. 
um, you know, and it gives the officials something to control without going too far. Is the fact that you don't want you don't want them making a judgment call on a drive or something like that. That you know, oh, he looked like he flopped. You sure. know, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Sure. So it's just trying to clean up the game and make sure you know that that at the end of the day, you want a fair result and you want the everybody to get the same fair shake. So we want to make sure they're able to use the, the technology that we do have. Two of the other, and by the way, we should say the video review is available at any Division three school that has video review. Yep. Uh, certainly the championship game uh, has video review, and I think even the semifinals, depending on the setup, has video review, so in case anybody's curious. A couple of the other two rules I want to quickly get to. The five-second closely guarded was removed while dribbling the ball. That should be emphasized. If the, someone's holding the ball and is closely guarded, the five-second count can start, but not when dribbling. Um, your thoughts quickly on, on the evolution of that. Well, it's just, I think it's the toughest call in the game, and it's probably the one that makes coaches pull their hair out more than anything else. Because, you know, it's either when they call it for you, it's the greatest call ever made, <laughs> and when they call it against you, it's the worst call ever made. So it's just, and I think with some of the other things in play, it's kind of taken it away. Now, you know, the fear is, is somebody handling the ball for 25 seconds, dribbling around yeah. and driving. But um, again, or even you know, a defender who's close enough who just can't get the ball away from him, but he sits there dribbling. Yeah, and again, you know, yes, that's that's the danger, but I don't think you want to, for a small, small percentage of people who can do that, we don't have many guys in the game that can, you know, just take hey, everybody get out of his way, let him dribble, and then we'll run an offense with 10 seconds to go on the shot clock or whatever. Sure. Charlie, so, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, so, so that was that was a big part of it. And, and again, like I said, I think it's I think it's a really tough one. And, and that six feet, and you know, you know, anybody's at a game and the officials are standing with their arms wide open, and you're going, what's the difference? But yeah. you know, how do you judge it? But the big one is, I think you know, we've we've coupled that with the defender also cannot, you know, the offensive player has a right to catch the ball and square up, right? Where they they used to be allowed to go chest to chest with them, and and you know, really take away their ability. The offense player has got to be able to make a regular move. So the the combination of the dribbling plus making sure the defensive player, offense player, has room to catch and square up is going to help make the game more movement oriented. Uh, Charlie Brock used to tell me all the time with rule changes that he was a, of the ma- mindset, you know, and he certainly you know, drove this home to a lot of people that if you're going to make a rule change, don't make it lopsided. If it's going to adva- help the offense, you can't disadvantage the defense. If it's going to help the defense, you can't disadvantage the offense in some sense. And, and whatever the rule change has to be in some capacity fair. Um, you could argue, I guess, that taking away the closely guarded has been offset by the 32nd. And that was really a big part of the deliberations was making sure we didn't want. Um, and I use the example of you watch the NFL right now. Mm, you yeah. know, it's it's a great you know you're an offensive wide receiver. It's a great time to be a wide receiver. It is. I mean, they can't touch you. <laughs> you're going to get you know. So we don't want it. We don't want that to happen. We want to increase scoring. We want to make the game more fun. But we also want it to be fair. And um, so yeah. So you you know you you give a little bit, you take a little bit. You know, so thirty five less seconds will help. Um, we're doing some things that, you know, the, the ability, you know, trying to take away the offensive player searching out the defensive player. So a guy jumps, you know, a guy pump fakes on a jump shot and the offensive player straight up in the air and then the guy jumps into him. That's not not supposed to be a foul on the, off, uh, on the defensive player anymore. Um, you know, so trying to balance those two things are very important. Uh, I don't to explain that right, but, that, you know, the, the call of the flyby. Yeah. The guy pump fakes on a three-point, if, if he can go, if, if the off, defense player is going to go out in the air and land without touching anybody. You can't jump into him. Yes. And that, that's another one of those rules that just everybody goes crazy on. 
when the guy jumps sideways or does something to to create the yeah. contact. And so it's you know trying to balance those things out. Uh, the dislodging in the post, you know, one of the, one of the biggest ones that I. I I think it's very important. I hope, and hopefully, the officials will will take care of it. You know, you get a defensive player down there. He's you know in position, set up good, and here comes the offensive player and just Bears drives him. him you know, yeah. three or four feet close to the basket. That should be a foul on the offensive player. Sure. Um, you know, same thing. Uh, you know, versus the offensive player, it's good position. Defense player comes behind him and just jacks him out of the way. Yeah. So those are things that that again, trying to balance it out, saying. We want to make sure it's fair. We want to make sure that that both guys have the advantage, and let the let the better play win. And let the uh, let the game not turn into rugby. Yes. Uh, in some cases, last rule that's going to have a lot of attention, uh, and I have heard varying reviews of this from coaches, is the allowing of pr- uh, pregame and even halftime dunking. If anyone's not familiar, they say, "Well, there's dunking all the time." Yeah, until the officials step on the floor at the 20 minute mark, and then you, all of a sudden you'll see the guys stop. Um, this one, I see some dangers in Division Three. We can get to those in a minute, but overall, this definitely seems like one of those top-down rules. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, it's a it's a big fear. I've had conversations on our with our administrative staff about the contingency of yeah. okay, what happens? Yeah, you know, people are going to be doing it, and all of a sudden, the backboard breaks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's going to affect Division Three tremendously. But uh, again, it's one of those putting the officials. It's kind of like with the uniforms and things like that. We're trying to let the officials concentrate on the game and not on worrying about some of these exterior stuff. Yeah. You know, and I think the coaches will, will take care of it. I, you know, I, I never wanted my guys, I used to tell my guys during warm up, you know, even before the officials came out, you know, if you only can dunk when there's no one else around you and you run in and have to pop in the ball and do all that stuff, you're not helping yourself get any better. No. So, you know, I think coaches will take care of that a little bit and, you know, kind of make sure that, that it's not being done crazily. But um, that is a, you know, that was a concession of Division ones and Yeah. Um, I was going to say, again, it seems that, um, A, you know, you've got the concern that, you know, I made the argument uh, in the over the summer that if if the basket, you know, if in Division three the basketball or the rim or the net is broken in a practice because everyone's dunking on it. And this was because everyone's like, well, everyone's dunking on the rims anyway. Well, if it's, dunked, if it's broken in practice, you probably have enough time to fix it before the game. If it's broken before the game at halftime, there is no time to fix it in Division three. It's not like there's an extra stanchion sitting in the back of the gym somewhere or there's an equipment guy who can just throw up a new backboard. Um, you know, D1's got those advantages. D3 doesn't. I've heard from some coaches that they may not even let their co- guys dunk because they don't want to risk breaking a backboard or, or doing something dumb before a game. And the other thought I had was, I hate to be the shooters on these teams where the guys are dunking and shaking the rim left and right as I'm trying to, trying to dial myself in for a game. So I've heard coaches say they may not allow it for those reasons, too. Yeah, and, and it should be it should be done on a on a school by school basis. I mean, it's you know again something we, we we've talked about. We're going to make sure. And, and, and I know as an administrator now, if I'm sitting down in the game and I'm watching a kid doing chin ups, hmm. we're going to stop him. Yeah, you know, because that's just you know, and the likelihood of it being brought. I mean, you know, got to remember. You know the backboards have been broken by Shaquille O'Neal. Oh sure, Daryl Dawkins. You know, and they've come a long um, way since then, certainly. Yes. So, so the it's not as big of a danger, no. I don't think, but it is. For but we've our, seen know, it happen. Level, yes, and at our level, it, it's it's devastating, and you know it, it could happen in practice. They may not be able to practice in that gym for a week yeah. by the time that you know someone gets there and gets it fixed and all that stuff. So, um, it's we, just, you know, common sense and. Well, we saw know, in again, Salem was, last year, I think during the practices at one point, one of the teams says it just seems like the rim is slightly off. I don't remember. It took us 
took everybody 15 minutes to assess it. I don't remember if they decided it was slightly off or not. It was just a figment of everybody's imagination. But, you know, just even guys like Salem putting the rims up, can it can anything can shift it and yep. can cause effect. Uh, before we let you go, because we've had you a good amount of time here, and I appreciate it, uh, I want to talk about just a little bit of the differences with the women, the, what seems like a disconnect with the women in some sense. And I don't mean that negatively. I just mean what it what it feels like and then looking down the road at future first off women come out with all these dramatic changes we'll talk more in depth with though about those in just a minute with uh, brad duckworth from alverno but what you know you, you almost look at this and you see lacrosse and you see very different you know sports they're governed differently but they are different sports to, for all intents and purposes the only commonality between lacrosse on the men's and women's side is the name and the fact that you put it in the back of the net with a similar looking stick um, on in soccer, you've got two men's and women's committees, but then there's an overall committee that makes sure the rules are kind of even, Stephen, for both. It feels like men's and women's basketball needs an overall committee, maybe. It, it, it uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I'm interested to see how you know how the women's game plays out. And and again, these are all again top down. These are all about sure. time. Oh, these same on the women's side. To, you know, trying to, and I think the women went to it in particular because they're television they you know they yep. want to be able to make their game watchable yeah. um and so they did some interesting things I, mean, I love the moving the ball up at the end of a quarter or you know or at the end of the game where you can final minute you can move the ball uh, up to the 28 foot line i think it makes it makes it exciting makes the game more fun makes you know will draw people to it um you know so it, i don't I, I think the games are distinct enough and and you know i i there was no talk, as far as I know, um, and none of the committee I was in, that about the quarters. You know, and and it's not something that we're ready to go with. But I, I'm sure we'll watch. It's kind of nice to be able to have two sports, be able to experiment some things, and, and let's see how they work. But in uh, Division One, you don't have a risk of, of fans being confused because it's one game, and then the other sex is playing on another night. In Division Two, somewhat, but especially in Division Three, we have the same groups playing doubleheaders. You're going to have fans, no matter what order it's in, whether it's the women first or the men first, who are going to be confused in some way, fashion, or form as to what rules we're playing under. Ten minutes versus 20 versus five fouls versus seven and ten. Um, media timeouts are different. Um, there, there's so many dramatic differences there. It almost feels like we're going to just confuse fans for a while. And yes, most rule changes have confusion. I, I, we can talk about the women for 10 seconds. Uh, backcourt not being called for a number of years and people confused. But is there a, an element there where you got to look at for the betterment of the game and the betterment of the division going, come on, some of these are just going to make things hard? Well, it's gonna it's gonna put pressure on our on the table people. Yeah, it is. That's gonna be the big one. And we, you know, funny we we've had a meeting with our table people and went through it, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna have to pay attention early in the year just to making sure that they can they're handling and understanding the nuances of what's going on. Um, from a fan point of view, you know, I think I'm interested to see how it goes. I'm interested to see if it does speed up the game a little bit. I'm interested to see if you know if there is greater interest because you're you're having those last second opportunities more often. You know that that you know basketball in, in college. You know it's twenty minutes. Twenty minutes is a long time. Mm-hmm. You know without any, you only have those two opportunities of buzzer beaters. Yeah. Now the way we're going to have four, yeah, and you know that's stuff that gets people excited. So it's going to be interesting um, to see how it all plays out. So um, you know there to make sure people understand that there were conversations between the men's and women's committee. We both meet at the same time in. Um, 
uh, in Indianapolis, you know, so as they were debating stuff, we were debating stuff, and then our chairs communicated tremendously about what was going on. So uh, we were aware of those things, um, but I think you've got to, you know, each sport is at a different area. You know, the the men's game is in a, at a different spot than the women's game. You know, so the decisions are being made, especially from the top down. Um, as as a prince of Division Three, I mean, we're we're kind of you've got to deal with those things, and we're going to make the best of it, and and I think we'll make the adjustments and and get our people involved and, and understand what's going on. And, and the people that are coming to those games, I think, will be will be excited to maybe even see the difference because anybody who sat through doubleheaders <laughs> on a Division three campus, it's a long night of basketball. It so is. Maybe this will spice it up a little bit because there are a significant difference in how the games are being played and what's being done. Some places so. the women will be second. Some places the men will be second. Some of them will all depend on the weekend, like in the UAA. Yep. Um, Bill, before we let you go, any rules coming up down the road that we ought to just kind of keep our ears on that maybe didn't get through committee this year? Or I know there's a six-foul thing. Don't get me started. But uh, <laughs> anything else that we just may not appreciate or something that's just you guys are starting to look at for the next two years? Well, I mean, the big one's coming in for Division Three, Division Two, and Division Three is the is the four foot arc. And right. We can talk about that. Is moving that the charge block arc out of foot. Um, so now there'll be two lines on the floor there, which is a which will be an interesting little problem to have to deal with for officials. But um, what we're really, you know, I think the approach is going to be this year is to evaluate, is sit back, and you know, this was such a significant change that hey, let's let's take this next year and and really kind of watch what's working, what's not. You know, and give it a really. We won't make changes again until two years from now. Right. So really, take the next two seasons to evaluate where we are and what adjustments can be made. Uh, I'm sure we'll go back and look at you know the emphasis and try to continue with the officials, uh, educating them on how how we want the game done. But I don't see anything major coming immediately. Um, but you know, the the time right now is to just observe and and kind of figure out. Okay, here are the changes. How are they working? You know, or do we have a significant change in time? You know, are the games going quicker? What's working, what's not, those type of things. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show here, this special on the rule changes. Uh, I look forward to chatting with you down the road. I know I'll see you probably in Salem uh, as well at the championship. As always, we give you the final word. Any final thoughts on the rules you want people to appreciate? No, I think just sit back and enjoy this year. Uh, I think it's going to be exciting. There's going to be a lot of new things going on. So um, I'm excited to see how it plays out. And if if it's done the way you know we anticipated, I think it's going to make the game. You know, come February, March, when when the tournament comes around, people are going to be excited to see the game. Um, it's going to be slow in the beginning, so people just be careful. It's going to take some time to everybody to adjust to everything. But I think come the second half of the year and in and, and the playoffs, it's going to be a lot of fun um, to see the game of basketball play the way it's supposed to be. And and Dave. You do a great job, as always. Um, one of the best things that happened to Division Three has been Hoopsville and everything you do. So keep up the good work. Um, it's made my time in Division Three very enjoyable. Well, thank you, Bill. I appreciate the kind words. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, and maybe I'll even get down to Texas this year. Hey, we'd love to have you come. All right, so. take care. All right. Bill Riley joining us here on Hoopsville Special on the Rule Changes. When we come back, we'll switch into women's gear and talk about all the changes there as well. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com, the National Association of Basketball Coaches. This is our Rule Edition Special. We'll have more on our season debut and more coming up right after this. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games, leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. 
We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Division three allows you to be able to give yourself to other things, not even just participate in them, but really get involved with them if you want to. There's a lot of interaction. Um, it's not just sitting back, taking notes. You're actually doing hands-on things and better preparing yourself for your major. Choosing a Division III school, I've had the opportunity to develop my leadership skills and to be more involved on campus. Division III in athletics you know, affords students the opportunity not only to participate in uh, intercollegiate athletics at a competitive level, but also gives them the opportunity to you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport and outside of the academics on the campus and to have opportunity to have time to join clubs and being able to play basketball, it allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. I wouldn't change it for the world. Welcome back to the Hoopsville special about the rule changes in basketball across all divisions. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Don't forget our season debut coming up on Thursday, our live season debut. We will be on the air on at 7 o'clock Eastern time, uh, Gray Giovanni from Augustana will join us, number one preseason uh, pre team. Also preseason team number one in defending national champs, Thomas Moore's head coach, Jeff Hans, will join us. We'll also talk to the men's basketball committee chair, um, Brian Van Haften from Univista. That's all coming up on the uh, season opener of Hoopsville. Obviously, this is a special. Don't normally talk about rules um, in the beginning of the season or rule changes or put a special about them. But because there were so many changes, not only the men's side, but wholehearted changes on the women's side, we felt this was important uh, to do. We hope you don't mind. It is a little lengthy, but we like to have a conversation on this show, uh, not just kind of blow through it all. Talk to the men, understand their changes. Obviously, the one that's getting all the news is the women's changes. Figure we got to have a conversation about that to be sure. You go to the the uh, roster and find the Division Three coach you want to chat about, and uh, we picked a good one. It is Brad Duckworth from Alverno, mainly because he is now the new chair of the Women's Basketball Committee. Uh, Brad, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Dave. Happy to be here. Uh, first and foremost, you mentioned new chair as of September 1. So you were in on the committee for all these rule changes. Now you're in charge of the committee. You weren't in charge of the committee when we started this process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, Michael Schaefer, the, the head coach at the University of Richmond, uh, was the chair. And uh, this is a two-year process. Um, you know, any rule change is a two-year process. So Michael really led the change. I was a voting member uh, at the change in May, and then um, I was elected by our committee as the chair, which started September 1st. Aren't you lucky? AD, yeah, women's yeah. basketball coach, and now chair of the rules committee. Your advantages, as you say, it's a two-year process, so it's not like you're chair of the of the, of the uh, national committee, which is a everyday process in exactly. some senses of the term. Um, first and foremost, obviously there's some big rules to get to here Something we heard from Bill Raleigh from Southwestern in the last segment, and I'm sure it's going to be something we're going to hear from you, so I'm going to give the chance to get it almost out of the way now. We have to understand in Division Three when it comes to rules in almost every sport out there, this is top-down driven from Division One. Yeah, I mean, there, there's certainly an element of that. Um, you know, the, the committee is, consists of six Division One members, three Division Two, and three Division Three, and... Um, you know, as we as we look at rules, there are certainly things that are television game driven, uh, Division One NCAA championship driven, 
but you know, I do want to to let the your your listeners know that we we spend a lot of time talking about the impact of Division Three and Division Two. Um, and some of the, 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 the mid to lower major Division ones, and how this will impact the game as a whole, and not necessarily just the television ratings, but it definitely does have a top-down feel at times, no question. Well, certainly I have seen rules that have been either not put in place because of Division two or Division three, and the costs that may be associated with that in other sports. And obviously on the men's side, the, the change of the arc, which we didn't really get into on the men's side because it's not really happening Division three for another year, goes into place in Division one this year and gives teams in Division two and three the year to paint that on their floors. Um, so obviously not going into effect. That's kind of where Division two and three lie. Let's get to the meat of this and the one that everybody's talking about. Uh, first off, wholesale changes. For the lack of better description, massive changes on the women's side. And it's massive changes not in the game of basketball, but it's massive changes in the game of college basketball. Quarters. Pretty much played everywhere else except college. And now played everywhere else besides men's college basketball. What was the mentality with going to quarters in the women's game? Well, as you see all of the rule changes, most of them were driven because we moved to quarters. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as, you, as we're talking about the rest of them, we're going to start with the move to quarters was the impetus to the rest of the changes. Sure. Um, you know, when we talked, and this was a lengthy conversation, I mean, this was days and this was, um, you know, it, what's the right thing for women's basketball and what's the right thing for basketball and you know, I would say the committee in the beginning was, you know, up and down on whether or not this made sense and are we making changes to make changes. As the week progressed in May, um, it became clear that the women's basketball game and the move to quarters gets us a, a much closer to the way the game is played across the globe. Um, you know, FIBA is four quarters, mm-hmm. WNBA, NBA, they're four quarter. The game is a four quarter game. We were the only road show, if you want to call it that, that was playing half. <laughs> Um, so we we took a long look at the flow of games. Uh, we took a long look at halves versus quarters and the, the interruption of play versus the length of play. Um, you know, and, and it just really started to make sense that getting our game to be very standard across the world made some sense, and it just developed as the committee moved forward that quarters, for a lot of reasons, made sense, um, one of them being the flow of the game uh, and, and Another one of them being, should we standardize the game globally? And, and that really was what, what took foot. What's interesting is you, you talk about the, the changes. I think I remember reading somewhere in Michigan, and, and maybe you can help correct this. I think Michigan was looking, high school was looking to go to quarters, to co- or halves, I should say, to match the college game. And I think put the brakes on it when they found out the women were changing the rules. I could be wrong with that. I read it somewhere a few months ago. It just kind of comes to mind as you talk about the fact that across the board it is quarters everywhere else. Uh, talk to a number of coaches who say uh, they don't know how to how to adjust to this. They're either so used to court or to halves that they've gotten into a certain flow with that, or on the flip side of that, they're kind of looking forward to it because it's going to give them a natural break to re kind of get things back in order with their team, or at least kind of um, I don't know move the game into a more of a, a sequential order. I guess is the best way to say it. Well, yeah, you know, I, I think you know as you talk about high school associations, I'm from the state of Wisconsin. And the first interview I did post um, the rule change was for the high school association that they announced this summer in the state of Wisconsin they were going to have. <laughs> Maybe that's and, who I was thinking of. Maybe it was Wisconsin. Yeah, and, and, and days after we had announced we were going to quarters, so then so that you know the state association was confused and why we did this. <laughs> um, you know, we we certainly took a look at the game of basketball, but I think. 
as the week developed, coaches, the, the 12 coaches that sit on the committee are hesitant, as all coaches are, to change. But through the week, as the week developed, we started to talk about the flow of the game, the natural break, the um, the change that it could potentially have to substitution patterns. As you 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 know you know you're going to have a quarter break at the 10 minute mark. The the division two and three level that the majority of us play non media format, although right. some of us do play media format. It gave a break to the middle. It get, you know it, it broke up the the uh, the what could be a long first half or a long second half. It added some excitement at quarter finish plays and the first quarter and the third quarter. Um, you know, so there was a lot of real positives. The only negative that we had to to the has versus quarters was, well, we don't play in Are we changing just to change? Yeah. Um, and 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 then we couldn't come up with another reason why halves didn't make sense or quarters didn't make sense. So uh, that's kind of how the 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 you know it played out this summer. We'll get to more about the quarters and, and the differences in now the men's and women's games in a minute. But as you pointed out, and, and I may have hinted earlier in the beginning of the show, this, this move to quarters kind of defaulted to some other moves that had to take place as a result. Or didn't have to take place, but were kind of part of the impetus. As you say, trying to move the game a little bit faster, keep mm-hmm. up the pace, which is also, by the way, the reason for a lot of the men's rule changes, was to change the pace of the game, quit having these dragged out games. As a result, you have to now tackle the team foul situation. Do you treat it like halves or you treat it like quarters? You now have to tackle timeout scenarios because you're adding automatically a timeout even to no media games to each half of basketball. Um, and as a result, you have to look at the media timeouts as well. So mm-hmm. you have, a, by default, a number of things. So let's go through with some of these. Let's start with fouls. Um, normally, and men will still play this, seven fouls on the team and a half is one and one, and we go to the ten, we get the double bonus. Results in a lot of uh, freight training to the free throw line uh, at the uh, end of a game or at the end of a half. Ladies are going to go to five uh, team fouls before straight to a double bonus, resetting at the quarters. Give the mentality and the conversation maybe that took place with all that. Well, again, it goes down to flow, you know, and, and uh, we had had number, you know, if you can imagine a boardroom, that, that this is where we're all sitting and, and the rules editor and the NCA folks, and there's a number of us in the room, we had, we had been through, you know, probably five or six different points. As soon as we went to quarters, that meant all of what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of free throws, that, and, and then fouls and bonus, we went all the way from the old school days of seven fouls as bonus, and then there's no such thing as double bonus. Yeah. Um, and then we went to all double bonus at, at seven, and then we went to this model that's the, the WNBA model of five fouls uh, results in free throws. Um, we talked about the uh, last two minutes of a game. Should there be, you know, the NBA rule where there's not, mm-hmm. um, you know, the second team foul is then automatically. So we went through a number of things. We went back to, you know, when you're watching the game of women's basketball, we want people to enjoy the flow, the freedom, the movement of the game, um, and not necessarily a who's the best free throw shooting team. So one of the things that came up was, you know, how do we not over reward the defense or the, the let's say the, the the losing team for fouling and fouling and fouling, and sure. now it's only a single bonus, and reward a team who actually has a, a lead late in the game. But then also, how do we make the game not just a free throw shooting contest? Yeah. So. We landed back at the WNBA rule. I think it's a really good change. Our team, my team, has had two scrimmages. We've played it, and it seems to flow the game better. Um, you know, the start of the third quarter, if you have seven fouls in the first, you know, uh, 12 minutes of the game, you're going to shoot a lot. Or, you know, with 12 minutes left in the yeah. second half, you're going to shoot a lot of free throws. Absolutely. Now we start over. So, um, 
I think it's been a good move. It's certainly a different way to do things at the collegiate level, but but uh, we're happy with them. I'm actually a fan of that. Like I said, no freight training to the free throw line on paper, at least in theory. You know, there's no way we're going to sit there and go, well, yeah, we're ten minute mark. We're just going to be looking at the free throw line the rest of the game. I right. do like the premise of that, and I also like kind of the the punishment. Okay, fine, you're going to get the five fouls, but now they're going to shoot two. There's no one right. and one here. You're going to risk it. Um, I do enjoy that rule. Timeouts taking a, a, a seat here. I really like the change in timeouts for two reasons. I like that you, the ladies, have gone to thirty seconds here. Um, you know, more thirty seconds than fulls. I am of the adage nowadays in basketball that the fulls are unnecessary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, again we wanted we wanted to to uh, put some onus on the coaches to have to coach a little better. You know, because you're not going to get a timeout every four minutes or when you need a timeout, a 75-second or a 60-second. We want our timeouts to be very uh, uh, almost user and viewer friendly. So the 30-second timeout doesn't seem to be too long of an interruption to play, yet it gives the coaches some autonomy to to draw something up or change something. Um, But I, I think, you know, if you're watching the game, I think the players will enjoy it more. Because the coach isn't calling a timeout every five seconds here to say, "Hey, come over here and sit down." The players want to play, and and now as a coach, we got to adjust a little bit, and we got to trust that our our guards and our our team can handle it. But um, you know, when we came out of out of there in May, we were really pleased with the timeout format. We thought it really will help viewers and players play the game longer, watch the game longer, fans enjoy the game longer. Um, it's a game of basketball, and, and you re- referenced soccer earlier. Well, soccer is the number one sport worldwide, and that's just continuous play for 45 minutes. Um, you know, and, and there was some talk about that is, is how often are we disrupting our play, and, and that's where we landed on the timeout uh, scenario. If anyone's wondering, I'm reference soccer to him off air. We'll get to that reference I point apologize. in a little bit. No, yeah. you're fine. I yeah, just know there's yeah. probably someone going, he talked about soccer? Don't worry. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. No, it's all good. Yeah. Well, one thing about the timeouts I do want to point out, though, we're going from four full timeouts and two 30-second timeouts to non-media 330s and 260s. Uh, do we ever use it or lose it in non-media games? We do. Okay, yeah, so we, you, yeah. basically you're down to four timeouts, but let's also remember we now have an added timeout per se, uh, in between quarters that, that teams are going to get. Um, I thought the full, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, I thought the full timeouts were getting a little out of hand when coaches would spend half of them having a conversation with their assistants and the team sitting on the bench either having a conversation about the game or talking about dinner plans later that night for all we know. It just seemed to be getting out of hand. you got 30 seconds, and it's mostly what the teams were using in the first place. So nice to see a change there. By the way, we should quickly mention doesn't come into play in a lot in Division Three, but it certainly will when it comes to the NCAA tournament. In not, in media timeout games, you're going to have 330s um, and 160, but you get that extra media timeout one per quarter. So in theory, we have removed a media timeout from each half. That's right. That's right. And and as, as uh, crazy as this sounds, uh, for a bunch of coaches, we were doing a lot of math this summer. So uh, <laughs> how much time and, you know, and how much interruption. But, the, um, you know, if you go first, let's go back to the D3 format. The majority of us that don't use right. media timeout format, it, 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 is the th- you know, it is the three and two. But if you count the quarter break as right. a full timeout, then it's four and three. Yeah. So we actually added a 30 to that game, um, although we're going to prescribe to the you're going to take one at the 10-minute mark <laughs> or right. the quarter break. Um, but we felt, you know, that that was fair. The other thing that we're really, uh, you know, as we're looking at basketball as a, uh, as a global and as a NCAA Division One, Two, II, and Three, 
Um, the last three, four minutes of games were taking too long. I yes. mean, it was just free throw, timeout, free throw, yes. timeout. And uh, this should this should clean that up. I mean, we get to the last four minutes of the game, there's not a lot of timeouts to use, and hopefully we're not shooting a million free throws. So both the media and the non-media format had a lot of support in there because it will help the game flow. I certainly wish some of these rules were adopted by the men. Well, maybe going to have to wait two years to see if that happens. Let's get to uh, one of those rules, the other big rule change, uh, and I already I already told you I was going to call it this, it, almost a gimmick in my world. Again, this feels like a D1-driven rule. Um, I said in the, uh, in, over the summer when the, when the rules were up for debate in the first place, I didn't like the idea of advancing the ball up to the 28-foot mark um, with less than a minute left if the offense so chooses. We can get into the specifics, by the way, of when that can happen specifically. It can't just happen mm-hmm. whenever. But it felt like an NBA rule or a WNBA rule, as the case may be, because, sure, you know, let's be honest, there's entertainment involved with the NBA, and there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's money on the line from Las Vegas, to be completely honest. Sure. And, and technically, especially the D3 level, that isn't there. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Sure, let's move the ball up and give a chance to a team. But in the college, it doesn't feel right. That had to be a fascinating conversation behind closed doors. Well, you know, it was. And we talk a little bit about uh, top-driven. And, and you know, the, the, there was a game in the NCAA Division I tournament. North Carolina played, um, shoot, I forget, somebody. Uh, but the ball went in with uh, .6 seconds left. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, had there been the advanced possibility, then there's the possibility of a shot. Mm. Um, in the women's game, you know, um, uh, I guess the, the best way to, to, to talk about this, some of the things that came up was that um, the women's basketball players, just by probably genetic code, aren't as strong as the men's players. So if you occasionally see a man throw the ball three-quarter court and it gets to the rim, um, I have not, in the 19 years I've coached Division Three women's basketball, had a woman who could throw the ball 94 feet and get it close to the rim. Sure. So uh, this gave us an opportunity late in the game to uh, move the ball. At three seconds left in the game now, there's some strategy as opposed to, you know, a little bit of a press and that ball falls somewhere in the lane and there's no drama to it. So, yeah, I mean, there's certainly some top-down to this. Does it, does it affect the Division Three? Uh, we definitely are committed to having one rule book across the division. So, um, um, yeah, I mean, I think some of this was a little bit made for TV, if you want to say that. But as a coach, I'm supportive of it. Um, what I have seen in the scrimmages, which I guess I hadn't anticipated when we passed this, the actually the winning team, the the team that had been up at the because we practiced in the in the you know uh, game and, situations, yeah. the team that was up was using the timeout to advance the ball so that we couldn't put our press on, which was a fascinating change. Sure. I, I didn't like that part of it at all. But if I, um, when I was down in those scenarios, then I liked the advance because then I want to score the ball. You know, so it's give and take. I think it'll be a fun uh, uh, change to our game. Obviously, it's WNBA, NBA. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how it, how it affects strategy late in the game. Let me just be a devil's advocate for lack of better description. Uh, sure. I discussed it with Bill in the last segment about another rule, and it's something I've, I've, lived, or I've understood about rule changes in general for a long time. Charlie Brock, who used to serve on the, on the committee from Springfield on the men's side, used to say whenever he had a conversation about rules, he was, he was very cognizant of the fact that when you put a rule change in place, you want you don't want it to be adverse for either the offense or the defense. And Bill Riley used the NFL example. How right now every rule that's gone in for the offense has had a horrible adverse effect on the defense. It's mm-hmm. not a fair rule per se. Sure. Um, 
I almost feel like this is not a fair rule. Let's just say it almost seems like it rewards the defense to give up a shot or or rewards them for playing bad defense, and then offense has done a very good job to get a basket to take the lead, let's say, or to tie the game yeah. or whatever. seems to reward the defense for not getting the job done because they know, oh, I can just advance the ball up 28 feet if I want to. Um Granted, there's some other strategies involved. I'm being a little simplistic here. It yep. also seems to dismiss the offense for doing a very well-timed offensive set and getting a last-second shot to fall just because the clock happened to stop with a second left on it isn't necessarily their fault. It almost feels like a dis... I mean, I can just... I'm maybe being way too big, big of a devil's advocate here. I can almost see some Ole defense here just to get the ball back. And if that starts happening between both teams, we're going 28 feet in the last minute four or five times. Yeah, you know, that conversation happened. And, and um, you know, we, we really were intentional about thinking through situations. It's actually one of the reasons that we felt really good about the timeout uh, change is that... The, the, the only way to advance the ball is the ball can't be advanced. So if I rebound the ball, I can't throw a pass or dribble. I mean, I can't, right. I can't advance the ball. You have to grab and it and immediately off- do something. Right, and then the offensive team has to use a timeout and, right. or, and then immediately change to the 28-foot mark. So with the use of, you know, if we go to a media timeout game where you have three 30s and one full and one of them is a use it or lose it, um, this brings you down to the potential of only having three carryover. Well, you would. You'd only have three carryover timeouts into the second half. Sure. Um, if you chose not to call a timeout for the whole game, the flow is going to be really fun to watch. It's true. And then now there's only three times. You could do it three times. Yeah, sure. that's a fair and point. And then the, the end there. So I think there was some give and take in the timeout format because of the advance to 28 foot. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think of all of the rule changes, you're probably right. That had a little bit more to do with the entertainment than it did the game, maybe. Um, if you were going to have to say which one, Coach, is the, the yeah, more sure. the entertainment one. Sure. Um, but I, I do think because there's not a lot of timeouts to have, we won't see it happen that much. Was there any talk of not allowing it to go all the way up to the 28-foot mark? I mean, that's a that's what? three-quarters of the court, roughly, two-thirds of the court. Was there any talk of maybe only going to, to mid-court to where the ball is necessarily you know, inbounded at, you know, at halftime or something like that, or maybe another mark on the court that wasn't all the way up there on a 98-foot court? Yeah, there was a lot of conversation. I mean, there was conversation about which side we should inbound in. Yeah, um, sure. You know, where, where it should be inbounded. Should we... Um, you know, when do you have to make the decision? I mean, we went through all of those scenarios, and... and um, the tw- we landed on the 28-foot mark. Um, you know, I think it's one of those rules that we're going to take a hard look at of, over the, the course of two years here and say, um, did we get it right? Does it need some tweaking? And, and, you know, to your point, does it need to move to half court or do we need to eliminate it? I mean, I think those are things that we'll do over the two years here. Uh, we try not to be the the bounce-in and bounce-out kind of rule committee. You know, sure, we make yeah. a choice, give it some time. But, yep. um those will be things we'll, we're, you know, and again, this is a 12-member group uh, that gets a lot of information from the WBCA and from a number of uh, NCA committees, and uh, we think we have it right, but again, um, we don't have any subset with this, so this couple years will give us a lot of subset, and we'll examine it, um, but we did, yeah, sure, we talked about a lot of things, which side of the floor, where should we put it, do we need a mark on the floor? Yeah. 
um, a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Let's quickly talk about a couple of the other rules that, that have been tweaked. One of them is a 10-second backcourt exception. Uh, basically the same as the men. You no longer uh, can get the 10-second te- the clock no longer resets every time the ball goes out of bounds. There are some scenarios where it won't do that if the ball is deflected out by the defense, just like the men. Held ball, which favors the offensive team, again, just like the men. Technical foul call on the offensive team, again, just like the men. Timeout. I am. I'm understood. If the coach decides to call timeout, your your the clock can be reset. But as you pointed out, not a lot of timeouts to use necessarily. So you got to right. use them carefully. Um, the other thing that I thought was kind of perplexing was, and let me read this right, straight from the NCAA's website. The panel approved a new rule that allows defenders to place a forearm or an open hand with a bend in the elbow on an offensive player with the, whose back is to the basket. Forgive me. But I thought that rule, at least the forearm with a bent elbow, not necessarily an open hand, but the the forearm, was already in place. What rule did I miss where that wasn't in place? Well, it, it, it was. I think we defined it a little differently. So the women's game, the rule previous was that as long as the defender did not displace the offensive player, you could have hair-to-toenails contact with a with a back-to-the-basket-with-the-ball defender. So I could body you from top to bottom as long as I didn't displace. Um, We really are trying to improve flow and freedom of movement, so this eliminated the ability for me to have hair-to-toenails contact with you with the ball. So now I can have one point of contact that's a bent elbow or an open hand. That was legal in the past. It wasn't that that was illegal. You just couldn't displace. What we removed was the hair-to-toenail contact. So now there's more freedom. I, you know, in theory, a post player can turn a little easier. There's not as much physicality in terms of like, you know, displacement. Who who created it? Offense, defense, in terms of displacement. So that's where this conversation started from and lent itself to. Okay. Um, so we didn't really quote unquote change the rules in terms of adding the extra contact. We eliminated some contact that was in the book previous. Okay. Um, obviously, there's some other uh, rule changes kind of on the minor side of things, but I want to get to the, the big thing here. You know, in the past, we've always had some slight differences in women's basketball and uh-huh. men's basketball. The The ball size is slightly different. I don't think that's big, big, big deal. The men for two years went to a bigger uh, three-point arch, and then the women joined them uh, a couple of years later. We've had the 10-second violation in, in backcourt in men's and not in women's. It was finally added to women's. Um, so you had these small... Rule changes. Otherwise, everything was basically the same. Basically. Mm-hmm. Timing and scoring of the game was the same, etc. Right. The problem is it feels now like we've got two very different uh, mindsets of the game. And, you know, the reference you made to soccer is you, you look at soccer in the NCAA, you've got a men's committee and a women's committee, but then you have an overall committee that looks at all the rule changes and decides whether they're good for the overall being of the sport. You right. have two lacrosse sports that are completely different. The only similarities, as I said earlier, is that there's a similar-looking stick, though they're different, and you have the name lacrosse. Uh, Otherwise, those are two dramatically different sports and thus obviously very different rule sets. Mm -hmm. Basketball seems to be trying to be soccer and lacrosse at the same time, and I know you guys talk as men's and women's committees, but to the outsider, it doesn't feel like anybody's talking to each other. It's like, oh, by the way, we're going to quarters. Oh, you are? It's like... (laughs) You know, it, why do we have to have a game which I feel, especially in Division Three, and as an AD, you're probably going to appreciate this, you know, get double headers. You're, I feel fans are going to be beyond confused 
mm-hmm. which game they're watching and understanding the timing rules and understanding the timeout rules and understanding the foul rules and understanding every little nuance that the games are different now. What? Why do why do we have to have these games so different and not be more on the same page? Well, let's start first by saying, you know, um, have you ever met coaches that don't want their cake and eat it too? So, oh yeah, no, we true. Be soccer and lacrosse, <laughs> and we want to be everybody. Okay, so no, I mean to to address your point, it's well taken. Um, you know, they're they're when when we're in committee. Um, the men's committee and the women's committee have joint session every day together. Um, we talk about where we're going and why. We're very cognitive of what each other is doing. So our rules editor and their rules editor are in direct contact with each other as the committees are in full function. So um, if things are passed on the men's side, we know. If they're in conversation, we know. Um, so I know to the co- to, and it would have been to me until I was on the committee. It seems like nobody pays attention to each other. That is really actually not the truth. We spend a lot of time together, but um, you know when it when it comes down to it, we have to do. We feel we have to do what's best for the women's game, and you know uh, there's this added added piece that. Um, just because the men do it doesn't mean it's necessarily right. And, sure. you know, the, the, the big one on their side is they reduce their shot clock to match our shot clock yeah. um, from 35 to 30. Which, talking, which, by the way, but, to be honest, we thought was going to be the biggest change this offseason. <laughs> yeah, and, until we came out of committee with all kinds of crazy. Exactly. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, they're talking about we don't have the five-second closely guarded with the dribble, and that, that was something the men looked at because of the women's game. Um, I think what you'll see is, and, and, and I definitely don't want to portray this as the women are the test dummy for men. Um, I think we we made some changes that are better for the women's game, and I think if it really when it really goes well, I think the men will take a harder look at should they be in quarters and should they do some of these sure. things. Um, it's a tough question to answer. I mean, the game is on the same floor. There are differences, uh, like you said. It's it's could be subtle. Um, we walked out of the committee saying, and, and we were conscious about saying this, that we are moving away from some of the way that the men play, but the men are conscious of the way that we do things, and we're conscious of the way they do things, and um, it will be important. Shows like yours are so critical to the, to the success of women's basketball because we need to educate the common basketball fan that is a men's basketball fan about the women's game and i think what you will find if we give it time is for our game it'll be a better game to play it'll be a better game to watch it'll be a better game to announce um you know everything about the game the experience for the student athletes the fans the coaches will be better we just we had to take a deep breath and say let's give it a shot um these we think these things matter for these reasons we're going away from the men's book and and to be honest we're conscious of that we didn't we don't we don't intentionally go in there and say, let's be as different from the men as possible. Sure. Yeah. We go in there and say, what's best for our game today and, and, and what's best for our game 10 years from now? And, and that's really where this kind of arrived from. But you're right. I mean, one of the conversational pieces at the end, and let's just say top down because that's the truth, ESPN is a huge partner of women's basketball, and they're a tremendous partner of women's basketball. It will be essential that their personnel, their talent, 
knows the difference between the two games so that they're supporting the rule changes on the women's side <laughs> because it's very easy if you watch men's basketball at 7 o'clock and a women's game comes on at 9, yep. they're different rules. Yeah. So um, it, it, we're going to have to do a good job uh, using folks like you who are tremendous in the media to make sure that people understand why we did it. I was going to say those uh, announcers on ESPN are going to have to take the time to explain the rules and do it do it um, respectfully. And at the mm-hmm. same time, public address announcers at, at, at gyms across the country are going to have to take a little more time to do that. I'll freely admit, as a public address announcer, it's been on my mind. I don't do a lot of women's games. I'm primarily men now. But when yep. I do fill in, I'm going to have to be conscious of the fact that you're going to have to explain rules. You don't te- necessarily say, hey, guys, there's no 10-second violation in the backcourt when it was the case. But this, you know, now we're going to have to explain, okay, 10-minute quarters, fouls reset. First one, you know, teams to five, shoot double bonus. You know, you're going to have to take some time. Uh, to explain it to those at home, and I know it's going to be a little bit confusing for fans initially. Um, hey, Brad, appreciate you coming on. Before I let you go, um, any rule changes? You know, obviously we don't have any for two years, but anything left at the table that's st- still going to get some serious, you know, consideration? Well, you know, I think there's a there's always a, it's an always an ongoing process, and what garnered, you know, USA Today picked up on it, ESPN picked up on it, Gino and and UConn mm. uh, played Vanguard this weekend and some some additional experimental rules that we'll take a look at. Um, that the widening of the lane from yeah. 12 feet to 16 feet. He played with a men's ball and not the women's ball, so there's going to be conversation about what's yeah. right for the women's game. Heard that before, the, yeah. The uh, FIBA three-point line, you know, do we move back? Should we keep it where it is? So, you know, we're constantly evaluating the game to make sure that it's it's the best for us and it's it makes sense from, you know, if you look at countries like, um, you know, European countries, uh, everything is... is from what would be equivalent to USA Basketball to the CYO, um, everybody plays under the same rules. We're one of the few countries that have different rules at every different right. level. So one of the things that we're constantly looking at is, is, is if you turn on a basketball game in America, we know what we're doing. Yeah, um, agreed. So, so that's kind of where we're going. Uh, we're evaluating a lot of different rules, and, and if, if, you're, if your uh, viewers are interested uh, all they would have to do is is do a simple search of the UConn exhibition game versus Vanguard, and they would see all the ex- all the rules that they played in. Those will all be com- uh, conversational pieces over the next two years. I will say, Gino didn't necessarily make any friends on the men's side with some of his comments when the rules were being suggested or were official. He had had some shots at the men's game, which. Some of them were funny, and I think some of them were probably a little over the line, but still, Gino being Gino. Um, hey, I appreciate you coming on, talking about this. Congratulations on becoming the chair of the Women's Basketball Committee. Uh, somewhere down the road, you and I will talk, whether it's on air or off air, about the defensive box. I'm convinced there, there there's two sets of people uh, who understand, or two sets or two camps when it comes to that rule. Those who don't even know it exists, and those who know it exists and don't understand it at all. Uh, I don't even think there's a third camp who actually understands it at all what it is, and I'm including coaches uh, yep. in that group. But we'll talk about that some other time. Um, in the meantime, we always give the guests the final rule, the final word. Any final thoughts or anything you want to make sure you drive home to those uh, listening about the rules and, and or anything else? Well, you know, first I want to say thank you uh, for the opportunity to come on and talk about them. I, you know, for those folks that are women's basketball traditionalists, that's including coaches, uh, you know, I would ask you to, to keep an open mind because I really do think the more data that we looked at, and, and it was a very conscientious process, 
Um, give give these rules a, a good look over the next two years, and I think we'll see some great things happening. But you know, women's basketball is 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 taking off, and it's driving the wheel in so many ways. And we're, I'm just pr- proud and par- uh, glad to be part of that. And and it shows like yours, uh, D3 hoops has been a tremendous add-on to the Division three game. Um, I started 1997 before we have even had internet, and to think today that uh, shows like yours, you know. Uh, D3 Hoops has been so amazing to, to everything that we've done. So I want to thank you for publicizing both the men's and the women's game to the level that you do. So thanks for all your work. We, we certainly appreciate coaches and fans and players. We definitely appreciate it. Well, thank you, Brad. I appreciate the kind words and uh, certainly a joy to do it ourselves. Looking forward to the new season. I know we'll be talking somewhere down the road. Good luck this season. Thank you. We appreciate that. All right, Brad Duckworth joining us from Alverno again, athletics director there, also women's basketball coach, and now the chair of the women's basketball rules committee. He will be a chair for the next few years as they move towards the next rule set swing, which is in two years, and obviously evaluating what is going on now. So coming up now on the Hoops Rules Special, we'll talk to one more athletics director, Tim Fitzpatrick from Coast Guard. Talk to him from the administrative point of view. Tim also comes from a bit of a D1 background, so we can kind of understand how this all plays out. He also has some opinions about some of those rules that are being put in place, but then, again, comes from that administrative point of view that has both men's and women's. He's also on the Men's Basketball National Committee, so he's certainly involved in a lot of what's going on in basketball. That's all coming up, plus my two cents on all these rule changes as well, here on the Hoops Rule Rule Special. Back with more right after this. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. I know sports is important, but having the academic part along with it is a big plus. I've discovered in myself, you know, a, a newfound ability to overcome adversity at all different angles. At a Division three school, school is really shaped around you developing yourself as a complete individual. The end result, in my mind, is you just become a very well-rounded person. Before I came into college, I didn't really think I'd be able to balance so much. It helps a lot that you have a family with your team that can guide you. With a D3 school, there's a lot of time for other opportunities. The coaches expect a lot of you during soccer, but after soccer, that's your own personal time to really find out who you are and other opportunities that you can pursue. By balancing all of my interests, basketball, my leadership skills, and academics, I'm able to better prioritize my life and to manage it. Welcome back to this Hoopsville special on all the rule changes in basketball on the men's and women's side. I want to thank again uh, the guests so far. We'll recap that in a little bit. Again, don't forget the debut, live season debut of Hoopsville is coming up on Thursday the 12th. We'll be talking to the two preseason number one teams on the men's and women's sides. We'll also be talking to the men's basketball committee chair. If you're wondering about the women's basketball committee chair, we'll have her on next week, next Thursday show, November the 19th. 
I told you throughout the show I wanted to kind of get more of an administrator's point of view or somebody who certainly knows how this whole process works, even has a D1 take on things as well. And over the summer, I got a chance to read a, a nice Q&A with one of the athletics directors in Division Three. Uh, he's up at the uh, Coast Guard Academy, and that is Tim Fitzpatrick. You might know Tim Fitzpatrick as one of those gentlemen who uh, also is on the men's basketball committee. Uh, he is the chair of the Northeast Committee, and he uh, agreed to come on and kind of expand upon what he wrote, which, by the way, you can find linked on the Hoopsville page for this show. Uh, we've linked to his article, and Tim joins me here on the Hoopsville Hotline. Sir, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Dave. Good to talk to you. Uh, we should point out that you're on a West Coast trip right now doing some work for the Coast Guard, so I really do appreciate you taking some time away from a, a nice trip on the West Coast and in a different time zone. Oh, no problem. Always always here to talk to you, Dave. You do a great job for Division Three, and uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be able to talk about you know, what we certainly on the committee and I think people associated with basketball in general think about changes that could be pretty significant, actually, in the long run. Yeah, I think that, and that's the fascinating part. I saw your Q&A, and I think you, you, you kind of had the same mentality I think a lot of people have, especially I certainly uh, seem to um, connect with it, as it were, in the sense that some of these rule changes make a lot of sense. Some of these rule changes make, make sense in the grander scheme, but not necessarily in the short term. And some others don't necessarily make sense. You guys didn't tackle all of them, so if you don't mind, I want to go through some of the big ones with you and then maybe get your opinions on some of the others. First and foremost, women's basketball changing to quarters, as pretty much everybody else in basketball is has done. Men's basketball, pretty much the only ones left playing halves now. When you first heard that proposal come out, what was your initial reaction? You know, I wasn't terribly surprised because this is something that the prominent Division One women's coaches have been talking about for some time in terms of a change that they were looking to make in the game. And I think that, you know, there is a certain amount of transference or trickle-down effect that you see in, in college athletics from things that happen in Division One and then subsequently happen in other directions. You actually, you know, you see some of that in, in this year's rules in terms of implementation timelines. But I think, you know, part of the outgrowth of what's going on on the women's side is to, is to put some more equity in the game. You know, I think people would tell you that across divisions that there's a lot of difference between maybe the top 40 teams and the rest of the teams. Mm -hmm. There's a very, very large rest. You know, it's almost like a bell curve sure. in terms of the distribution of power, for want of a better word. And I think, you know, particularly if you look at the women's change of going to quarters and how it affects personal foul accrual, I think what it's what it's doing is it's putting some speed bumps in the game with respect with respect to competitiveness, and I think you know that overtone of competitiveness is something that runs through all of the changes. I think you can really tie it to the emphasis in both men's and women's basketball on trying to eliminate some of the physicality in the game, and I, and I think if you look at these things in tandem or in triplicate or however they relate to each other, I think that's what you see is, is some commonality, you know, some, some almost some evening of the playing field, if you will. And I think in that regard, you know, the, these changes generally, particularly the ones you reference on the women's side, I think that's very positive. I think it'll make, I think it'll make the, the games better for fans. And that's one thing that, that the, you know, that the competition and playing and practice committees have been saying 
with this is that this is about making college basketball a better game, a better game for the participants, a better game for the fans. And it's nice to see that perspective. There's going to be some bumps in the road. There's going to be some hits and misses along the way. But I think, uh, you know, now with the last several sets of rule changes over the past two or three years, I think you're seeing that as a theme. When I look at is a lot of these rule changes, we'll cover a few more in a minute, but it bases it on here on the quarters. When I look at it on paper, you know, not a bad idea. Um, I think the frustration comes down to saying, okay, the women are doing it, but the men are not. And yes, in the past, we have had rule changes on one side or the other, three-point line adjusting, et cetera, et cetera, that, that haven't gone with both sexes at the exact same time. But these are some major wholesale changes that are going in place as an administrator who has basically double headers, you know, this isn't D1 where men are playing one night and women are playing another. You're, we're in D3 where everything's pretty much a double header throughout the season, except for out of conference stuff. And even then you can see double headers. How concerned were you? How much were, were those concerns voiced by others of saying, we are putting two very different games on the floor at, at almost the same time? This is going to confuse people. You know, it's funny. In our league, in the NUMAC, we really fortunately don't play as many doubleheaders as other as other institutions might. And some of it is because, compared to many Division three leagues, basically everybody in the NUMAC is within about a two-hour drive. Sure. So yeah. you, that, that has an effect on how we schedule. In fact, I was looking before we got on the call. Coast Guard, we have three doubleheaders during this season by our men and women, and two of them are on Saturdays. Wow. Excellent which is an easy travel day. But yeah. you know, the point that you make is an interesting one. And I would say that um, you know, one thing you have to remember that happens in Division One that I think also happens in Division Three is that generally speaking, and I know this is true of Coast Guard, you don't have the same fan base for the two teams. Right. And and as a result, yeah, and, and is there some overlap? Sure. You know, I would say as I look at our games, maybe it's ten to fifteen per ten to fifteen percent. Sure. But when you really get into it, I think the people that follow the games closely know that they're different games and that they're and that they have been different for a long time. And yes, you know, when you go to quarters versus half, I would describe that as seismic mm-hmm. in terms of the type of change that it is. But um, you know, I think the fan bases are maybe not, and then this is going to sound critical of fans of basketball, and I don't mean it to be, but I think you, you see different levels of discrimination within fans. And there are some that maybe play the sport or coach that they're a little more technical in nature and tend to understand what I would describe as the mechanics of the sport. And then I think you see other fans that are just more interested, you know, more results-oriented, more support-oriented. So I think that, you know, the... The best way I can describe it is the changes that are actually seismic to the games in terms of how they play will probably be viewed as more cosmetic by many fans, and and, and I think you'll see some, you know, some effect of. And I actually had this experience last week in talking to some administrators at our academy. Oh wow, they're going to quarters, huh? Wow, gee, and not gee, what kind of effect is that going to have on the game? Gee, okay, we just take it in stride and we move along. But as you look at the sports, and again, you know, I came from, uh, you know, when I was in Indiana in Division One, I, I oversaw both the men's and women's basketball programs. Mm-hmm. So I can, you know, fundamentally there are big differences in the games. Sure. There's no, there, you know, there's no question about it. You just look at, 
I think one that's very, very obvious, you look at the amount of men and men defenses played in men's basketball versus women, and, and you see you see the different emphasis that come out of the different sizes, the, I mean, the different sides of the game. Um, I think these are going to be, you know, the, these are seismic, I would say, but I think they're going to be good because what I see is, at least from the, you know, the, competi- the competition committee side, is that they're saying, okay, we've got to make the games better. Mm-hmm. We have to, you know, I mean, people in, people in Division One will tell you, it's not good when UConn beat Cincinnati by 70. No, <laughs> certainly not. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, like if you look at even, you know, Coach Ariana, Connecticut has been very much in favor of the kind of changes that are being made. But yet some of this, some of this rule construction is really directed at, at trying to bring power teams back to the pack a little. And if it makes it a better game, I think you'll see people that are that are for it. The X factor, as I look at it, and I know this is like the twelve pound, twelve hundred pound gorilla in the room. <laughs> you and I talked about this some at the Final Four in general. How long will the officials call the games the way they're being approached to call the games? Yeah, there is a trend in basketball, and almost any coach would tell you the points of emphasis are usually called for Christmas. Yeah. True, and then they then they morph back into what officials do, and you know this is a frequent subject in our committee is kind of the mythology that goes with officiating, and I think, you know, the I, I really hope, and this has been discussed in our committee, I really hope that our officials call the game the way it's being legislated, and that they call it with continuity for the good of the sport. That'll be interesting to see how much of that happens. I would certainly agree with you, though. I would I would say the hand check rule, or at least the defender being in the right position uh, when the offensive player uh, starts to attack the the rim, might be the only one I've seen hold on for a whole season. But you're right; a lot of times the points of emphasis disappear by the time we get to the new year and the and the and the and the conference schedule uh, though a whole another tangent we could talk about is how officials are assigned i know a major change in the mid-atlantic i think has changed officiating for the better um i'm well, curious to your point to your point too i think that you know over the past five years both men's and women's basketball as man-to-man defense has become more prevalent almost as like a badge of honor way to play yeah yeah both games become very handsy absolutely and and you see much more physical yeah you know, yeah, and even I mean, and even in you know last year with not only seeing new Mac games, but in covering my region and seeing other prominent teams play throughout the year, you can get grave inconsistencies within a game to to respect that hand fighting and hand checking and things are being called. Yeah, so, you know some so what what some guys will call one day, others won't, and what some gals will call others. You know, it, it, there's not that great. There's not the kind of connectivity you would see. It's, yeah. it's a. I think what happens is standards get defined differently in individual officials' minds and in flow. Game has something to do with it, and you know just what they see in different positions, how they observe their mechanics. Are they in the positions to make the right calls? Yeah. And those are constantly issues that we do look at as administrators because we want the games to be good games, and we want we want fans to be happy with the product they see. When when you talk about that administrative role, I mean, the, you know, at Indiana, you know, a joke, you know, it's easy to change that court. You know, if yeah. if they come out with a rule every year that changes one of the lines, 
Okay, you strip it down, you put it down. There's money in place to be able to do that. There's money in place to get a new court if absolutely necessary. As you know, Division Three, and, and to add to that, uh, one run by the federal government uh, with the Coast Guard, it's not like you've just got money that you can just pull out to go, hey, let's go change the court and its lines again. How 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 much does the administrative side of things get get put into place, or how much are they are they asked of you guys to say, listen, we're looking at X, Y, and Z. How feasible can we pull this off? And by the way, that's a that's a larger conversation than just basketball because I know the the shot yeah. clock in men's lacrosse has been talked about for a long time, and a lot of Division three schools are against it because they don't have football, so they don't have clocks. Right. Um, and that means an expenditure to pay for those clocks. I think the same thing came up with basketball with putting in a tenth of a second in the on the shot clock. It's been talked about for years, and I don't think it's getting put in place because it costs money to make sure you have the right equipment. We're talking about moving lines now every two years. The men are going to be moving to a larger arc. We already had the, the, the three-point line move several times. Women are talking about, in a couple of years, going to a wider lane. They already thought about putting in a defensive box, which nobody understands, and then decided wisely not to draw that on the floor. I think that would have really confused people. But as an administrator, how much do you sit there with these rules committees and want to kind of wring their neck a little bit and go, guys, do you understand what that means for us? Well, and I think there's two aspects of it, too, right? One is what does it mean to us? What are the dollars and cents of it? And, you know, I think most athletic directors will say, okay, if we have to make a change, we make the change, we figure out how to make it. What I hear concern about, and I hear this not only as a committee member, but I hear it in our in our conference, and I also hear it even, we, we play in a football conference mm-hmm. that has primarily different members yeah. than our core conference. Right. And you, what you hear is, do these two committees ever talk to each other? Yes. Do they ever talk about basketball? And I, I heard, you know, I heard somebody come out uh, in a NUMAC meeting and say, you know, what are we going to do if they decide the women's basketball court needs to be 100 feet instead of 94? <laughs> True. You know, and I mean, True. And, and you can you consider, okay, you know, fortunately, the court is still 94 feet long. The, the you know the the baskets are still 10 feet high. The lanes are still the same width, and I think people worry about creep. They worry about to what extent are these rules, are these rule changes going to begin to infringe on what the game is. Sure. And and, and you're right. Yeah, there's some, there's definitely some anxiety related to cost. Uh, and, And I would be kidding you if I would say that that's not the case. What I see a little more of is angst on the level of, geez, you know, why, why do we see such poor communication yeah. on a committee level? And, and, and I can even see, you know, last year we're sitting there picking the field and you, and you see teams that you know are going to have participation on the men's and the women's, and we're having to, to get our, our NCAA administrators to dialogue with their own colleagues to figure out what the other side of the committee's thinking about, okay, are they going to have school X at home? And how's that going to affect our ability to put school X's men's team in the same place at the same time? Yeah. And, and frankly, as a committee member, I can tell you, I think that the, the degree to which that dialogue is facilitated is disappointing. Well, I was going to, to say, and our previous two guests both said that there's there's definitely ongoing conversations between the, those two committees. I agree with you. Sometimes it's, it seems funny that, that to hear that from those two, but then see the rules so drastically different that you can't imagine that every day in their meetings they were having separate meetings amongst each other. 
Um, as an administrator, let me give you this question. In the sport of lacrosse, um, we have two very different sports. Basically, the only similarities are in name and the stick, which is similar in the goal. It, it, the rest of the game is different. So having two different rules committees makes sense. In the sport of soccer, where the sport is almost identical for both sexes, you still have two different committees, one for men, one for women. But then you have an overall soccer committee that without knowing the answer for sure. But by under by looking at that, you understand that those two committees then have to go to the overall committee and say, we want to make changes, and they make sure that's the betterment of the entire game. As an administrator and as someone who's served on committees yourself and currently obviously serving on a committee um, on the National Committee of the Men's Basketball side for Division Three, is there something to be said of going to basketball and saying, okay, we understand you both have different ideas and you both have different plans but we got to put an overall committee on this to make sure basketball doesn't go the way of lacrosse i would think that would be a very very prudent move i would also be absolutely astonished if it happened <laughs> agreed <laughs> and, and, and I, I don't I, I don't say that disrespectfully i say that simply in the spirit of you know when you look at when you look at basketball, and I and I know this from you know even dating back to the '90s when I served as the assistant commissioner of the Southwest Conference, mm-hmm. the worlds of the the you know the the gender worlds of the sport are different. Absolutely, and yep. there is and there is a certain amount of protection I would say that goes on in terms of maintaining what people believe to be the integrity of the sport. Yeah. And I think that's where you see where that's where you start to worry about where does the line of integrity get drawn. You know, like you talk about you talk about lacrosse, we're really blessed the Coast Guard. We have two turf fields. Yeah. So we can you know and, and our men's team plays on one and our women's team plays on another. That's helpful. And, you know, we're able to do that. But, geez, how many schools are there that, you know, that have that, that luxury to do that? Uh, and the, the, you know, the, the, the integrity of the game part, you know, coaches will tell you one thing. Administrators might sometimes tell you another. And I think you know very well because of how many coaches you know and how many coaches you speak with on a regular basis. There are progressive elements, and there are ones that are very traditional. And you have all these battles, if you will, that if, that impact integrity. And it's not it's not a it's not a you know a rules compliance integrity. I don't want to apply that. It's a just what is this game? And 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 you look at games that are dramatically different. Men's basketball, even on the Division Three level, there's a certain element of the game that's played over the rim. Yeah, absolutely. Women's bas- women's basketball that is not an aspect of the game doesn't say anything good or bad about one side or the other. It's a fact. But so far, issues like width of the lane, height of the basket, things like that, those have not those have not come into play. But you see, you know, a basketball is not a basketball anymore. There's a men's basketball and a women's right. basketball. Right. So you've seen you know, you've seen it's the old it's kind of the premise of creep that I was describing to you, you know, earlier. You see that and you you know, you do, there is a considerable need, I think, for continuity in, in key areas, but yet room to do things like play quarters in, in women's basketball 
Some of it, too, I think is a desire to be compliant with the pro game. On the men's side, that's not as much of a concern because I think there's a certain identity to men's college basketball that's different than women's. Sure. Where, you know, NCAA Division One basketball is a greatly different product than the NBA, for example. Yeah. But uh, these are all these are all very valid points. And this is this is when you have a when you have a national federation that governs your activity, these kind of things, these kind of issues pervade almost every aspect of what you do. Before I let you go, there was one rule you certainly were not a fan of, according to the Q&A. For the most part, you were a fan of most of them and understood the premise behind them. But the one you certainly weren't a fan of, and I see as being the biggest problem when it comes to Division Three, is the allowance for pregame and halftime dunking. Sounds like a minor deal, but as an administrator, I think you see what I probably saw over the summer, too, is the fear that, listen, if you, you know, the argument is to everybody, like, why not let them dunk? They dunk during practices. The rims are fine. Well, if the if the rim breaks in a, in a practice, you've got time to get it fixed before the game. If the rim breaks or the backboard or there's a net problem or it gets twisted, you name it, and you were in Salem last year when one of the teams thought, one of the stanchions had gotten slightly adjusted, and we took 15 minutes to stare it down before before deciding whether it was fixed or not. Um, you know, you you know that you break those in those scenarios, the game's off. It's not like Coast Guard's got another rim just sitting there, and and you're going to climb a ladder and and reinstall it. Well, you know what, Dave, at Coast Guard, we could fix that. I would pick Coast Guard, wouldn't I? We have a we have, when you're when you're part of the federal government and part of the military. You get some we, extras. We actually when I when I came to Coast Guard, we did not have a backup backboard for our for our basketball games. We do now, and we actually, and I'm certainly not disagreeing with your premise. Your premise is really accurate. Yeah. Coast Guard, well, our, our our duty engineers that are on call on the installation of the night of the game could replace the backboard if we had to. We are, I'm sure, in the in the extreme minority, sure of people when it comes to that. But you're right. I mean, you know, there. You know, you look at, you just look at the Final Four last year in Division Three men's basketball. Yeah, there were guys out there on every team that were capable of the unspeakable scenario that you just described. Absolutely, because you know, honestly, all it takes to break a backboard. Is a bolt that's not tight, not tight enough, or it's been loosening up, yeah, right. And then that rim moves, and all of a sudden, the structural integrity. I mean, I don't need to sit here and make engineering arguments, but it's not as it's not as difficult as people think for something like. Well, that it's not like you guys are going up there and tightening after every practice and every game just to make sure everything yeah, exactly. is kosher. And I mean, and, and we had, and, and you're right. You know, I we you know, like I said, we we've t- we've t- we at my institution have taken the preventive measures that we can and. But you certainly, you know, hope that doesn't happen. If, if you uh, if, if you didn't have that scenario, would you, as an administrator, have the thought to go to your men's coach and say, "I don't care what the rule says, and I don't care what you think, but we're not risking our rims before a game or at halftime for dunking." And so I'm see, telling you, you're not think, doing it. I think you're going to see more of that than you realize, and I think what what you'll find is that. Uh, administrators that have good relationships with their coach can probably get that done. Well, I know some but coaches who probably will do that, too. I think will admit to that. You know, they would, they would admit that, yeah, I had that conversation. Sure. Uh, but that's. But I think, if you know, from a precautionary measure, you know, I think, I think there's another side to it, too. Um, 
you know, people get hurt when backboards break. Yeah. Now, True. Know, okay, yeah, okay, you're out, you know, whatever the cost of a backboard is to replace it. But, you know, there's a that's a very, very, very hazardous scenario that you're, that you're talking about. Yeah. And, it's definitely, right. and that's that, that. That's definitely. You, know, you look at you look at the level of athleticism you see in Division One versus Division Three. Certainly, worry more about that in the Division One level, where you've got you know, you have fifteen kids in your team. You probably got thirteen or fourteen that can dunk. Yeah, it just. But it's. Um, you, you're right. It's that I saw that, and I said I saw that change, and I thought it makes no sense. That was just the first thought that ran through my mind. It makes no sense. I can understand to that to me. And it's a, it's a keeping up with the Joneses rule. I will tell you, I'll, I'll give you an example. As you know, last year, our team was fortunate enough to play in the SPN uh, Armed Forces Classic at Air Station Barranca in Puerto Rico. We were kind of the preliminary game to the Louisville-Minnesota game. I know that there was considerable fear with ESPN at that game because there was not a backup for those goals. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> if something happened, now they weren't worried about, you know, they weren't they weren't as concerned about it in the Hampton Sydney Coast Guard game in the afternoon, but the Louisville and Minnesota they had ample concerns. You know, okay, then, then, then what do you do? You have a national TV game that gets blown up. Yeah, and, that yeah. And I think, you know, when you look at when you look at all of this stuff, Dave, and I think this is, if you want to talk about questions that administrators have, it, on our campuses. When you're fighting battles, fighting budget battles and declining, you know, institutional support environments, when you're trying to do the best you can for your your athletes and provide the best experience that they can, you can have for them, which often has impacts on the funding, you look at these changes and you say, are the people that are making these decisions looking at the nth degree scenarios? Are they running them? Are they running the traps, if you will, to their logical end? And I think a lot of times you look back at that and say, no, no. Now in the in the I will say in the men's basketball committee last year, simply as it relates to the comp the composition of the field for the tournament, I was extremely impressed at not only the energy that my colleagues displayed, but also the degree of discipline that we imposed on ourselves to look at every situation from every angle we could think of. I don't know that you see that kind of diligence when you look at these, when you look at these rule changes with the, with the two respect to sports, because if you did, these continuity arguments we're talking about probably wouldn't exist to the same degree that they do currently. And that's also where a lot of times D1 and, and top driven as it were down has a major impact you know we already heard from um both of our guests bill riley and 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 brad duckworth that the top down certainly drives it and we know on the women's side it's driving those decisions so you can you know yeah the continuity is not there when the big boys want to want to do what they want to do and d3's got to figure out how to follow along and that's why examples like men uh the the arc the defensive arc under the basket will move next year not this year, which it will be in D1. We add in a whole other layer of confusion, by the way. Of course, a lot of referees do both D3 and D1 games. Um, right. And so, you know, you're asking a lot on your referees. Uh, sir, I appreciate well, you. Oh, go you ahead. You, yeah, you worry about these things. You really do. And you look, at, you look at these situations and you say, why can't they be different? I'll give you, you know, we're, we're talking about rules, but I'll give you the, my number one 
concern or, you know, visible 1,200-pound gorilla in the corner of the room argument, okay? For the longest time, the men's NCAA basketball tournament logically rested at 64 teams, Right. okay? Then there was a decision made to broaden minds and be more inclusive mm-hmm. and get to where you have where you go, what you have now, where you have more than 64, but it still you know, works. With 68 the or something, yeah. Yeah, 68. Why in the world the NCAA Division Three men's basketball tournament is 62 teams? Baffles me. Well, and the fact absolutely, that... And absolutely the, baffles yeah. me. And I, and I, you know, we're, I've heard it 30 times. You know, well, you know, it's because of, you know, how many teams and this multiplier yeah. and this and everything. And I, and I, I said, hey, you know, we want to do something good one year. Why don't we fight the administration of the NCAA to say, you know what, this tournament could be, should be 64 teams. There should be two. There should be two more groups of kids that get to play. If we're really in this to make to to create opportunities for kids, which is to play and, and to play and you know, hey, I I know from my own college experiences in a different sport, it's a big deal to play in the NCAA's. Short is, short is. Yeah. Well, when I look at how we how we you know put our field together last year, and I remember being a, a part of a conversation with you one night at the Final Four and some other people about the committee where we were talking, you know, we were kind of bantering back and forth about who it was that was, you know, the first team out and who it was that was the second team out. Well, shoot, in my mind, those teams were good enough to be in the tournament. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, there, are, and there are things that, you know, there, there are certainly things that defy explanation to me, and that's one of them. It certainly doesn't, you know, diminish my desire to be a good committee member and do the right thing. Good, because I think you're going to be chair someday. <laughs> well, when I'm king, who knows? Well, <laughs> yeah, you'll force uh, that, but, won't you? But, but you know what you see, and we have a very, very talented, Lisa Halpin is a very, yes. very talented person that oversees our committee. She really does a wonderful job yes. because it's like herding cats sometimes. <laughs> and, I, and I understand that, but she, you know, she has a very, very, and not to talk out of school about her, but she has a very, very fair appraisal when dealing with our committee about where you're going to be able to get traction and where you can't. I would agree with you, absolutely, from my and, conversations and, and, with and, them. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, being a part of the federal government, I feel like I know a little bit about bureaucracy. Yeah. <laughs> I think you say, the same, you say the same kind of bureaucracy, and my problem absolutely. with the bureaucracy is we have bureaucracy in the case of that one scenario that I just described that, that deprives young people of opportunity. Yeah. I can totally understand which, that. Which to me is senseless. It's just there's no, there's no, um, you know, the, Mark Emmert came and spoke at Coast Guard a couple of years ago to our entire Corps of Cadets. Maybe I should have asked him why I had him in my office, why why we couldn't have two more teams in the men's basketball. He probably would have looked at you and realized, and said he didn't realize there were only 62. Nothing against him, but I can't imagine he actually knows there's only 62. It was a very interesting day when he visited Coast Guard. It was the day that the Miami football scenario oh went public with nevin shapiro oh boy and the payments of players and actually bob williams the vice president of the uh vice president for communications of the ncaa was with him that day and it was it was a interesting career experience to watch those guys work under pressure they're pretty impressive uh-huh. with, with what they did but um you know nonetheless i mean we gotta i think the you know the in the final analysis good committee members are pretty indelibly committed to doing the right thing. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it that's really true. is. You end up 
impacting choices and you end up impacting things. But I think there's always, you know, my, my hope is that as we walk down this road, that there's always going to be a continuing spirit of improvement sure. that people want to do because it sure. is at the end of the day, you know, and I tell our coaches this and I tell our staff this all the time, it's about the cadets. It's about the people that play the games. And it's about what we can do that's best for them to provide them with the best experience we can. And I think that's one where that's one place where the NCAA succeeds dramatically is people when they say, oh, too many committees, this, that, the other thing. No, there aren't too many committees. Because as long as there are people that are willing to serve and try to do the right thing, that's a good deal. That's a fair point. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. Um, there's lots of topics and, and lots of uh, thoughts I know we could pick our brains on, but I appreciate you taking the time to join us to talk about these rules uh, from an administrator point of view, especially one who's has that D1 experience along with the D3 side. Uh, I know we will catch up with you in the future as well. Uh, thanks for taking some time out. I always give my guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share or drive home to those about the rule changes or otherwise? I think um, you know. I, I think if you're if you're a fan of the game, the games, men's and women's basketball at the Division Three level, there's nothing that's transpired in this rule in these rule changes that should make you any less of a fan of the games. Uh, you know, if somebody if, if somebody's got kids out there that can dunk, then you know maybe that'll be part of a more entertaining experience. <laughs> uh, well, like I said, we always need to be mindful of the integrity of the sport. Sure. And I think that's always out there. Uh, but by the same token, you know, the, this NCAA Division Three is a good thing. And, 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 and by contrast, one of the things that is unfortunate in society now is that when indiscretions incur, occur in Division One, they tend to be indictments of the sports and of the college experience as a whole. And I think that's an unfortunate generalization. Sure. When that happens, it, 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 it's you know it's painting with you. a brush. It's painting with a brush. It's too broad. Yep. Uh, there's an awful lot of things, good things that happen as we, you know, conduct a 200 week experiment at Coast Guard to create an ensign that's that's service ready. When he or she walks out the door, their athletic experience is a great part of what makes them an officer. Sure. And I think I think as you look at the D3 institutions around the country, an awful lot of good is going on. And I think if you know if fans get frustrated with the particulars of rules, I just think they you know, they should make sure they don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Fair point. Well, thank you so much, sir. Uh, enjoy the rest of your trip. I know I'll catch up with you soon, and uh, we'll look forward to it then. Thank you, Dave. Tim Fitzpatrick from uh, Coast Guard, Athletics Director, also Men's Basketball Committee Chair, joining us here on Hoops. When I come back, my final thoughts and a quick tease on what's ahead for the new season of Hoopsville, the 13th. You're listening to Hoopsville's Rule Special. We'll be back with, again, final thought and a look at the rest of this season of Hoopsville as we're just getting ready to tip off the 2015-16 season. We'll be back right after this. Division three schools offer academic scholarships instead of athletic scholarships. This really puts the focus that the student athlete needs to maintain that GPA. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. A lot of people pick schools just based on the sport and don't get that experience. Being a Division Three athlete and developing my leadership skills has definitely put my name out there and helped me get more recognition on campus, but more recognition nationwide. I did win the Jostens Trophy, which is based on leadership, academics, and then how well you do on the court. 
I'm also the Schwartz Scholar of my class. Schwartz Scholarship is basically a scholarship that is given to a student who's identified as a likely leader. And the other end of the day, it won't matter how they play on the field, it will matter how they do in the classroom. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. Welcome back to Hoopsville Special on the Rule Changes. I want to thank you for tuning in. Rather in-depth conversations. We realized they took a long time, but I found them fascinating to listen to the inner workings and what was going on. We hope you learned something from them and don't mind the length of those interviews. Certainly that was not the intended length when we started the process, but those were those interviews took place. But there's also, as we noted, a lot of rule changes in Division Three in college basketball in general this year. And so on that note... Um, we felt it deserved the time. Um, before we get to some of the, the, the homework of, of, of Hoopsville and some of the, of the notes on, of future shows, let me get you to my two cents on these rule changes. I wrote up a blog, which is linked on the show page for this episode uh, at d3hoopsville.com. I wrote up my opinion when these rules were first suggested, before they got to the overall NCAA committee on whether they would be approved or not. And I was, I, I listen. I think if you read that blog, you'll see that for most of these, I was for those rules, not necessarily against a lot of them. I am against the quarters, but I was only against the quarters based on the fact that I want to see both men's and women's basketball do the exact same thing. I don't want to be seeing men's basketball at halves and women's game at quarters. That's what we're going to get for two years. That's not going to change until the next rule cycle, which is two years from now. There may be some tweaks or maybe some adjustments, but we hardly ever see a wholesale change in the middle of a two-year cycle of rules. So get used to that. I don't mind quarters. I kind of like the idea that the quarters will maybe increase the pace of play. We eliminate some timeouts, which I really wish the men had done. Um, I think the four full timeouts is just ridiculous in college basketball these days, especially when I think coaches take an absorbent amount of time talking to their assistants and letting their players talk and then coming together and actually you know, working. Well, they could have used a 30-second timeout and just gotten done down to business. I, you know, I wish the disqualification time was, was removed. The player files out, get your next player to, into the game immediately. We're not going to wait around and give you 15 seconds now to talk about it, 20 seconds prior. So I'm not against a lot of these rules on paper. I'm just against the game being different. When I in division 3 we go to double headers, especially in conference play. It's very common. I don't want to go and have two different sets of rules, two different styles of game, two di Yes, the styles are different in general. The basketball side balls are different, though we know women are looking to go back to the men's size. You know, the lanes are slightly different, though we know the the women are thinking about going to a bigger lane. You know, there's differences already inherent in the game, but they're minor in the grand scheme of things, especially with the 30-second shot clock on the men's side coming down to the women's uh, size. They're all the similar. But the idea that we literally will have different rules on on a number of fouls and, and foul shooting, we'll have different rules on the amount of time on the clock and how, how that breaks down, the different rules on the amount of timeouts, the different rules on technical fouls. Division uh, The women are still keeping the, um, one, uh, the, the Class B technical foul as a two-shot foul. And as we heard in, the inter in our interviews today, 
We also have a scenario where if a coach doesn't get their player in on the women's side in time for a replacement of a disqualified player, that's a technical foul on the head coach. That's not a, a tech, you know. So we got some nuances there that I that are going to make the games dramatically different. Listen, basketball is not lacrosse. Yes, basketball in its day has been dramatically different, but that was more based on what they thought women could do back in the 50s and 60s. And so you had X amount of women on either side of the court and they couldn't move past midcourt. That's changed. The games are essentially the same. For five-sixths, let's argue, five-sixths of the NCAA, meaning three divisions and, and men's and women's, so six divisions, five-sixths of the game is pretty much played below the rim. Yes, you could argue parts of Division Two is played above the rim on the men's side, but for the most part, five sixths of of the NCAA is played below the rim. Why are we catering to the Division One on the men's side that's above the rim and the Division One on the women's side that's played a little bit more competitively than maybe other divisions? These rules need to be similar and the same. In two years, they may be identical, but why do we have to go through two years of conf not confusion, but certainly, huh? What am I watching? I, again, don't mind these rule changes on paper. I just wish they came together as a cohesive group and did this together. Again, on the men's side, I like the 30-second uh, shot clock. I think that's smart. I think they should be getting rid of timeouts or adjusting them. Now, getting one rid of one in a media game is not good enough in my mind in the men's game. I think there's too many timeouts that drags the game down. Uh, I do want to see officials pick up the pace of play. Absolutely. I love the class that... Class B technical fouls are a one-shot technical. Yeah, let's let's just keep things going. They don't need to be two-shot. And we may see calls that should be made called more often. Um, removing the ability for a team or coach to call timeout. Ingenious. Keep it in the, on the floor. Allow the officials to focus on what's going on the floor, not having to have their head on a swivel. Again, disqualified time going from 20 to 15 seconds? No, just get rid of it. Period. I don't want to see it at all. The expansion of the arc eventually will come. We'll talk about that in the years ahead. Fake fouls. I like the idea that we may be cracking down on those. Um, reviewing the thirty, the, the shot clock violations at any point in the game seems to make sense. Women, I wish you had gone to any point. But as we heard in the interview, they want to worry about pace of play more than anything. Hopefully a, a shot in the first quarter that was blatantly not, should not have counted, doesn't come back to haunt anybody at the end of the game. The one one rule that I didn't talk about at the beginning, and I apologize, but certainly want to talk about now that I don't like on the women's side, plain and simple, is the advancement of the ball. I don't like it. It's it's gimmick to me. It's cheesy. It's entertainment. No one's going to come to a women's game because all of a sudden the ball can be moved up to the twenty eight foot line at in the last minute of the game. I realize that to do that, you're going to have to call timeout. And with a reduction of women's timeouts, you're going to have less likely scenario where the the teams are calling timeout. Max, it may happen three times in a minute. So I get that that is a good thing, maybe. But I don't. I think it's a. I think it 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 rewards a defense for giving up a shot by allowing that defense who now turns into offense to move the ball up to 28 foot mark. I think it punishes an offense who runs a really good set at the end of the game and hits a shot with very little time on the clock to force the issue, whether it be a tie or a win. I think it I think it disproportionately hurts them by then having them not be able to get into a full-court press, not be able to do something defensively to stop the other team from scoring. That other team gets to walk right down to the 20, if they have a timeout left, walk down the 28-foot mark and get a legitimate shot at, at a, at a game-tying or game-winning basket. I, I don't like that. 
This isn't the NBA. This isn't the WNBA. There is not money on the line in this game. There is not Vegas involved with how the outcome of this game is going to be determined. I understand in some capacities Vegas and gambling is involved, but we're talking Division Three here. And just because Division One wants it and just because that could be a scenario doesn't mean it should trump everybody else. I understand it is trumping, and I understand why it trumps. But in this scenario, this one's dumb, and I don't like it. I think it's a dumb rule. I, we'll see how it plays out. I think some fans are going to be confused by the fact that they can do it and men can do it. I don't think the men will add it. Just my two cents. I think it's a cheesy, gimmicky rule. And it's just as gimmicky as the banned music allowance, which we're not talking about on this show. I don't want to even get into the allowances of what bands and music can do, bands and DJs, etc., in women's basketball. They're both gimmicks in my mind, and they're not for the betterment of the game. I think that moving it up 28 feet changes the game in too dramatic a way and is too much of a punishment on the team that did well or too much of a reward on the team that didn't do well on the other end of the court. So that is our Hoopsville Rule Special. A couple housekeeping notes for Hoopsville. Season debut coming out on November 12th, uh, 7 o'clock Eastern time. We'll talk to both number one teams, Augustana and Thomas Moore on the men's and women's side. We'll also talk to the men's committee chair, Brian Van Hafton from Buena Vista. We are adding Sunday shows to the beginning of the season. I don't know what I'm thinking, folks, but we're adding Sunday shows. So starting the 15th, we will have a Sunday show on Hoopsville starting at 7 o'clock. We will pretty much be on most Sundays throughout the regular season. We are debating whether we'll be on the air Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend. We are That is still at the air. The reason we're adding Sundays is because we just don't get enough Thursday shows. We'll get one on the 12th. We're going to get one on the 19th. Then we take a break for Thanksgiving. I'll get two more in before I have to take a break because of football responsibilities. And then we're into the holidays. We're going to have three weeks before we're back or two and a half weeks before we're back on the air with Hoopsville. This allows us to get a couple extra shows in, talk about some of the news and goings on at the beginning of the season, not feel like we're catching up on stories when we get to January. Also allows us to get a show in, for example, on December 20th when we know basketball has been played that previous week uh, before the holiday break and before the D3Hoops.com Classic. Don't forget, so don't. So again, Sunday's onto our resume starting uh, this Sunday at 7 o'clock. Also, don't forget uh, the Hoopsville Classic at Stevenson University. We'll be talking about that next week with Gary Stewart and others. Eight teams in place. It's going to be a wonderful uh, weekend of basketball Friday and Saturday at Stevenson. Looking forward to that. If you want more information, go to d3hoops.com or the Stevenson website, gomustangsports.com. You can also buy tickets there as well if you're interested. Um, also, don't forget, again, the d3hoops.com Classic coming up in December, etc. We have a lot of other announcements to make. We will make those throughout our time, looking at more partnerships and more um, advertisers and sponsors on this show, and it's something that's going to move the show forward, and we're pretty excited about that. So that's going to wrap up our Hoopsville special here on Rule Changes. We look to see you back here on Thursday night. If you don't get to see this show or others, or this show certainly not live, but our live shows when they take place, don't forget we archive them and make them available on podcasts as well. You've been listening to Hoopsville special on the rules uh, changes in college basketball. I thank all of our guests who, who joined us, Bill Raleigh from Southwestern, Brad Duckworth from Alberto, and Tim Fitzpatrick from Coast Guard. If you have any questions for us, feel free to tweet us at D3Hoops or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us hoopsville at d3hoops.com or join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville. We may be expanding our social media reach in the near future. 
as well. We'll see you on Thursday night. Again, two number one teams in the preseason polls, including one as the defending champs. Augustana on the men's side and Thomas Moore on the women will be joining us along with a regional report from the Northeast. And we'll talk to Buena Vista head coach Brian Van Haften, the new men's basketball committee chair. Talk about him, talk about the committee, his team, and the IIAC. That's all coming up on Hoopsville at 7 o'clock. More information on the show, you can go to our website, d3hoopsville. Com. Thanks for tuning in. I want to thank our partners, as always, D3Hoops.com, the National Association of Basketball Coaches. We'll see you on Thursday night for the season debut of Hoopsville.